Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, for some time, we are going to be in the pastoral epistles. Uh, these are letters that are written to leadership, to pastors, overseers in the church, Titus and Timothy. Uh, we're going to kick off here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, but understand you know, if you're listening for the first time, listen to our studies through 1 Corinthians and then get yourself caught up because you'll you'll understand much more. Uh, if you're listening for the first time, the things that we study, it's going to seem um, awkward. Because when you have the base plate of this deeper understanding from 1 Corinthians up until current, you understand the, the implications of having defunct leadership. You understand the implications of the pseudodelphos, the false brethren and servants of Satan. You understand the deep implications. And so, you know, we always stress this, that if you're listening for the first time, to purpose in your heart to listen to prior studies and go back as far as uh, 1 Corinthians and then get yourself caught up because these are letters that Paul writes to Timothy. Paul writes to Titus. Very important. It's not just, you know, like a, a, the run-of-the-mill pastor writing to another pastor. Uh, no, this is Paul who's writing <laughs> Remember our study, if you've been walking with us for a while, our study through the book of Acts, how we purposely said, Paul is not like the average bear. Paul is not like the average bear. There is something different about him. Do you remember our study in the book of Acts? If you've been walking with us for a while, how, you know, uh, everybody was saying apostles, prophets, they were saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. It's too dangerous, Paul. And yet the spirit of the Lord was saying, Paul, chains and tribulations await you. Go to Jerusalem. See, there's something different about him. Not to suggest that the spirit of the Lord was not with the others, apostles, prophets. And not to say that the spirit was not with them. But understand that, you know, the Lord is using everybody Old Testament, New Testament in certain capacities, in certain functionalities. It's like a car. You open up, the, open up the hood and, you know, you look at the alternator, but the alternator is not the radiator. You see, there's specific functions for the alternator, specific functions for the radiator. You see, very specific. So when we look at Paul, it's not to exalt Paul, but understand that Paul of himself he is humble, his humility before the Lord. And, you know, it's not to exalt Paul, but understand that we exalt Christ in Paul. Paul says of himself, it is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And so if you're listening for the first time, listen to those prior studies. First Corinthians, get yourself cut up because you understand the, the dangers of defunctness. And I'm speaking about leaders. When you have defunct pastors, when you have pastors who are really the pseudodelphos, uh, fake brothers, when you have uh, 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 pastors who are really servants of Satan, 
You know, a lot of times people think, you know, well, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to be a Christian or I believe in God. So I'm going to go to this church. I'm going to go to that church. I'm going to go to this church. I'm going to go to that church. But when you have this understanding of the dangers and implications of the defunct, of the pseudodelphos, of the servants of Satan who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. And when you're a Berean and you search the scriptures and you study the scriptures with a noble heart. You're able to have this discernment. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. But you're able to have this discernment so that you can see, wow, this pastor's crazy. Wow, this other pastor, you know, he's crazy town. Wow, this other pastor, he's speaking like, you know, a servant of Satan. Wow, this other pastor, he's a pseudodelphos. Don't just assume that anybody with with a pastor parking spot. Don't just assume that anybody who stands in the pulpit is a godly man. Don't assume that. We are living in the last days. It is very dangerous to have these assumptions. You see, the Bible says to submit to those who rule over you, which is very beautiful. It's biblical. Very beautiful to submit to those who rule over you. And when you, we, we look at that in Hebrews and you see it's regarding the, uh, uh, the saint and pastor relationship. The, 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 the sheep and shepherd relationship. It's very beautiful to submit to a godly man as pastor. Very beautiful. It is safe, but we make heavy emphasis on formula, 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 because the formula must be right in accordance with the truth of Holy Scripture. Because you submit yourself to the pseudodelphos, the fake brothers, you submit yourself to the servant of Satan, and they present themselves as ministers of righteousness. You submit yourself to the defunct, you're hurting yourself. And not just hurting yourself, in the life to come, quite possibly enter the lake of fire by who you choose to submit yourself to in terms of pastor relationship. You say, well, that's a, that's a heavy accusation. That's a, you know, a heavy allegation. No, it's not an allegation because you have pastors today who are saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. When the Bible says you do that, lake of fire. And you have pastors who say, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. The mark of the beast has no bearing on your salvation. That's not what the Bible says. You submit yourself to a pastor like that? Hello, lake of fire. Not good. Don't do that. You see? And so these studies in the pastoral epistles, it comes with a big, humongous warning label. And it's to listen to the prior studies. Listen to 1 Corinthians and get yourself caught up. I mean, you know, you, listen to this study too. But when it's over, when it's done, go back and purpose in your heart to listen to those prior studies. It is very important. We are in the last days. We are in the last days. Now, this is Paul. This is Paul who's writing to not just run-of-the-mill pastors. This isn't like, you know, uh, uh, Joe Schmo pastor writing to Joe Schmo pastor. No, this is Paul writing to Timothy and Titus who have been 
with them. They've been in the bubble. How many times do you hear us refer to the bubble, the bubble, the bubble, Paul's holy bubble, holy bubble, the entourage, holy bubble. And yes, it's beautiful. There's a, there's a larger bubble of Paul and those with him, which includes the saints, you know, the, the church, church in Ephesus, church in Corinth, church in Galatia, church in Philippi. Beautiful. But then there's a smaller bubble within that bubble. And that's the next generation of pastoral leadership. I mean, when you look at all the problems that were in Corinth, I mean, if very difficult to study, very difficult to listen to our study in the in First Corinthians because you see carnality in the church. Who corrected it? Well, you see how the Lord uses his vessels, Chloe. Her corrective action in terms of reporting to Paul. Oh, Chloe's a tattletale. Look, she's gossiping. Look, she's gossiping. No. She's not. She's going to male headship, which is Paul. You see? Who was it that? You look at the carnality in Corinth, the disgusting works of the flesh in Corinth. And yes, they had pastors. I mean, remember when Paul says you have 10,000 teachers, but one father, one spiritual father, he speaks of himself. You have 10,000 teachers, but one spiritual father speaking of himself. Who cleaned house? I mean, you see the, 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 the dual workings of both Chloe and those in her household and Paul. So you take the number, I mean, Paul says you have 10,000 teachers, but one spiritual father. You figure, well, 10,000 teachers, 10,000 pastors, surely they could clean. Surely these 10,000 pastors could, could clean. The Corinth is getting carnal. Surely these 10,000 pastors can address the problems in Corinth. But no, that's not the case. You have beautiful Chloe, beautiful Paul. You see? I mean, this is the pastoral epistles. I mean, you hear people say like, oh, I wish I could be a fly on the wall. You say like, you know, a president meets with another president or a president meets with a prime minister or a prime minister meets with a king or whatever. And it's like, wow, I wish I could be a fly on the wall just to see what they're talking about, just to, just to hear what they're talking about. Well, that's what we get in these pastoral epistles. This isn't run-of-the-mill pastors. This is Paul pouring into Timothy. Paul pouring into Titus. Senior Pastor Paul, who's not like the average bear. Pouring into Junior Pastor Timothy, who's not like the average cub. And now he's, you know, a bear himself. This is senior pastor Paul pouring into junior pastor Titus, who's, they're not like the average bear. We have to make this distinction. When Corinth was messed up, who did the Lord use to correct? When Galatia was messed up, who did the Lord use to clean house? Very specific vessels. We place heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis on formula, 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 because the Bible says, submit yourself to your pastor, which is beautiful, beautiful. 
But what happens when the pastor says, hey, everybody, go ahead, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That pastor, you know, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Everybody, you know, uh, uh, go ahead, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Now you follow that guy, that's lake of fire. You see? Another pastor at the pulpit, has got the pastor parking spot. He's standing at the pulpit and says, hey, everybody, God bless you. After church, we're going to go to the, to the cemetery and we're going to go grave soaking. You know what grave soaking is? Grave soaking is a practice where Christians, Christians, they go to the cemetery and, you know, like the, the, the godliest person in the cemetery, you know, somebody who was godly while he or she was living and uh, they've died now. And then they go, they look for their tombstone. Okay, where was, you know, uh, 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 a guy's name, uh, Matthew, you know, so Matthew, he was a godly man and this and, you know, that's, you know, whatever. And so we're going to find his tombstone, Matthew, Matthew. Okay, here we have Matthew's tombstone. So everybody, church, youth group, men's group, ladies group, we're going to take turns and we're going to lay down on this grave site. And the spirit of the Lord that was in Matthew is going to come up from the grave and soak into you. It's called grave soaking. It's an abomination before the Lord. It is necromancy. And yet you have pastors who tell the congregation, hey, everybody, we're going to go grave soaking. We're going to go lay on the grave. Now, listen, the spirit that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with the living. The Holy Spirit is not with the dead. It is another spirit. Do you remember our study in, in, in 2 Corinthians when Paul says, you might well put up with it. He says, I fear. It's, it translates as phobia. I'm like afraid. This is Paul. And he says, I am afraid for you, Corinthian saints whom I love. Because the preacher guy is going to come in, you know, who, a servant of Satan, he's going to come in and, you know, they present themselves as ministers of righteousness. He's going to come in and start speaking about another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. And he says, I'm afraid for you. I mean, he doesn't say, I'm afraid of that happening, the the the, the, the Delphos coming in. I'm not afraid of, you know, the wolf coming in. I'm not afraid of, you know, opposition. Because understand, that's going to happen. It's, 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 it's a gimme. It's going to happen. What he says, he says, saints, I'm afraid. Yes, they're going to come. But I'm afraid that instead of you opposing it, that you might well put up with it. And that's what I'm afraid of. Because saints submitting themselves to those guys, not good. We have to make these distinctions. Sometimes people say like, wow, you know, I want to listen to a nice Bible study. And it's like, wow, you know, I'm going to come to this church. I'm going to come to this fellowship and listen to this message. And I'm going to hear, you know, on all these things. And then people are freaked out like, oh, my goodness, he's talking bad about pastors. He's talking bad about the elders. He's talking about it. Well, there's a reason because we emphasize formula, 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 formula. This isn't like, you know, hey, everybody, let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya. This is, hey, everybody, we're in perilous times. We're not in Kansas anymore. Because you hold hands with that guy, that's, you know, hello, lake of fire. You see, we have to make these distinctions. 
This is like a, a conversation, an inner sanctum. A letter that senior pastor Paul writes to junior pastor Timothy. You know, people say, oh, I wish I could be on the fly on the wall. Well, here we are. We're like, not like, you know, we're, we're flies, but I meant like, you know, we get to, to, to hear like the inner sanctum. Senior Pastor Paul to Senior Pastor Timothy. These are vessels that the Lord used to clean his house. In Corinth, in Galatia, in Ephesus. And when you listen to our study through those letters and those churches, you see they were, the house of God was in big trouble. Big trouble. And when you look at Paul and Timothy and Titus, these are vessels that the Lord used to keep his house clean. Not the run-of-the-mill pastor. Godly men. You see, we make these distinctions. So if you're listening for the first time, purpose in your heart to listen to those prior studies and then also listen to another study. It's like the introduction to the pastoral epistles. It's called About the Pastoral Epistles. Very, very important. Make sure you listen to those studies because we're going to kick off here in the pastoral epistles starting with 1 Timothy chapter 1 and I'll be straight up with you. We're going to go hardcore. We're going to be straight up hardcore because these days are evil. And you need to understand, we need to understand the dangers before us. Not not to, you know, the dangers before us, not to be afraid like, oh my goodness, it's dangerous. I, I'm immobilized. I don't want to go. No. So that you and me, we can be dangerous ourselves. You know, here, here let's give the example of Fallujah. You know, 2004 Fallujah, you say, okay, you know, you take a, 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 a six-year-old girl and you say, hey, six-year-old girl, I want you to walk from one end of town to the other end of town in, you know, a, a 2004 Fallujah. You know how dangerous it is for that six-year-old girl to, to take that journey? Very dangerous. But what if the six-year-old girl, you teach her, you train her, you equip her, she becomes deadly, you teach her how to fight, you teach her, like, give her all this armament, all this equipment, all of this gear, a lot of weaponry, a lot of ammunition, and you don't, you, know, you say, okay, you know, you, you used to be six years old, now you're like 20 years old, now you're like 22 years old, and it's not just you, you're going with, you know, this team of guys, you're going with this platoon of guys, now you go through Fallujah. Now you go through Fallujah and it's still deadly. But you know what? You're more deadly. You see? You're more deadly. Very important to understand when we say, you know, you know, there's a good deadly and a bad deadly. You know, you take the mark of the beast and you, the pastor says you'll still be saved. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. That's a bad deadly. That's lake of fire. But a good deadly is like that six-year-old girl who's now 20 years old, 22 years old, and she's deadly. And she's with a, a team of people, team of guys who are hardcore. Now, Fallujah, that is still deadly. Now you have this group of guys who, who are deadly themselves. And now they go through Fallujah, you know, and, you know, it, it's like to fight. Expect to fight and be ready for a fight. So we're going hardcore. About Timothy, 
Understand that Timothy, his mom is Jewish, his dad is Gentile. Now, we reflect back on our prior studies when you read like Acts 16. But if, you, if you've been walking with us for a while, these are things that we've referenced already before. So, you know, if, if you've been walking with us for a while, these are things that you already have an understanding of. But just as a little refresher, his mom is Jewish, his dad is Gentile. He's raised and influenced by his parents. But then don't forget his grandma. Grandma Lois, his mom was Eunice, but Grandma Lois too. And there's a prophecy that Timothy would be in ministry. And we're going to cover that in our, in our study here in chapter 1, 1 Timothy. But there's a prophecy that Timothy would be in ministry. And so when he's joined with Paul in, in, from Acts 16, that happens around 49 AD. And this letter, 1 Timothy, uh, was written in 63 AD. And so in just that gap of time, that span of time, you see 14 years. Now, it could be that uh, Timothy was uh, in this uh, pastor capacity a year prior. Uh, but when you look at that four years or, or 14 years from Acts 16 to first, when the first Timothy was written, that's a total of 14 years, 49 AD to 63 AD, total of 14 years. That's 14 years in, in a very special bubble, a very special holy bubble. Now, it could be that he was started in, in this capacity of ministry a year prior, maybe two years, probably a year, a year prior. It could be. But I lean more towards, you know, the full 14 years. 14 years in a very, very beautiful, beautiful bubble. You see, we have the account of Dr. Luke in the book of Acts. It's finished now at this time. I mean, you know, in, 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 in 63 AD, in 63 AD, when, 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 when Timothy receives this letter, Pastor Timothy, Junior Pastor Timothy receives a letter from Senior Pastor Paul. The account of, of, of the book of Acts written by Dr. Luke, it is finished Do you remember our study in the book of Acts and even in the subsequent letters, you know, how we refer to certain people as yo-yos, where they're with Paul in a very holy bubble, but then Paul sends them out as yo-yos. So like Timothy would go out, encourage the saints and, you know, in some cases give gifts like, you know, uh, 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 like funding to, to help the saints, help the church. But then at the same time, you know, those uh, Timothy would go back to Paul and we refer to them as yo-yos. You are like, you know, Timothy would go out, you know, spend time with certain saints and then come back and he's back with Paul like a yo-yo. And so he'd come back, you know, he'd, you know, Paul would have a, a word for the church. Timmy, little Timmy would go out. You see, little Timmy would go out, you know, and uh, uh, exhort the church, warn the church, comfort the church, and then yo-yo back to Paul. And you see it with Titus, you see it with Sylvain, you see it with certain individuals, and it's very beautiful. And now, in the case of Timothy, now it's his turn. 63 AD. No more yo-yo. Now he has his own little bubble. You see? Now it's his turn. The next generation of leadership. So beautiful. So beautiful. And it's not like, you know, a lot of times in churches today, you have pastors 
oh, I'm the senior pastor. And, you know, they treat church like a business. I'm the senior pastor and, you know, I'm getting old. I'm going to retire and here's my son and my son is going to be the next senior pastor. And here's my other son and he's going to be the next co-pastor. You know, and they treat it like a business, like, you know, like, like, like the church is their own personal business and they treat it like a business for their own, like lineage, like, you know, and so the, the son, like, you know, you have the dad who, who I'm doing my air quotes, gives the church to his son. And then that son, when he gets old, gives the church to his son and they treat it like a family business. That is foolishness. That is stupid. Because. What if a kid is wicked? What if a kid is wicked? And you have the senior pastors. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm, uh, I'm getting old. I'm going to retire. You know, let's ignore the fact that, you know, my kid's a sex head. Let's ignore the fact that my kid's a crackhead. Let's ignore the fact that my kid is a gambler. Let's ignore, ignore the fact that my kid is on his third marriage. Let's ignore that those, those facts. And he's going to be the next senior pastor. That is foolishness. And a lot of times you have Christians in the pews who say nothing because they haven't been taught. They haven't been taught to know, wait a second, that's wrong. You blame the pastor. You see, formula, 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 very specific formula, very specific formula in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, very specific formula. Because what if a pastor, godly man, is getting old? And then, you know, he's getting old and he's, you know, praying for the saints and it's like, Lord, you know, who's going to be the next pastor? Lord, help me find this next pastor. Well, who's godly in the congregation? Who is godly in the congregation? Where are the biblical qualifiers to say, okay, this guy, he's the next pastor. Could be an elder, could be a co-pastor, but you look for the godly. You see? But today you have pastors who look at their, their progeny. They look at their kids. Oh, I want to leave, leave a nice legacy for my kids. And look, I get, you know, uh, 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 $200,000 a year. You know, they have their board meetings and they say, well, I'll continue to be a pastor here, but it has to be in, in my contract that I make $200,000 a year. And I know pastors who negotiate their contracts. They treat it like business. They treat it like business. They're fools, hirelings. Oh, yeah, I know the economy is bad, but, you know, let's, you know, I'm going to teach about tithing and we're going to pass around the offering plate. And I want it in my contract where, you know, I have to be, uh, uh, my salary needs to be 200,000, 250,000, 300,000, 400,000. And that's, that's lowballing because you have pastors who, I'm doing my air quotes, negotiate for even more. Plus perks. Fools. They're called hirelings. That's what the Bible refers to them. Hirelings. You see? Very important to make these distinctions. Sometimes people get mad at me. You shouldn't talk that way. You shouldn't say that about a pastor. You shouldn't say that about this godly man. You shouldn't say this about the anointed. You shouldn't say, look, he's a pastor. You shouldn't say... I read, I read the Bible 
And it's like, wait a second. And according to these verses, he has disqualified himself. He should have never been a pastor. Who called him to be a pastor? The Lord called him. He says the Lord called him to be a pastor. The Lord called him? It might be Christ who called him, but lowercase c, not the real Jesus Christ. One of the fake ones that the real Jesus warns us about in the last days. Remember, the disciples asked Jesus Christ, what is the sign of your coming? He says there will be many false prophets and many false Christs, many Christs, many Christs. You see, we have to test the spirits to know whether it's of the Lord or not. People oh yeah, Christ called me in the ministry. Jesus called me in the ministry. That might be the case, but not the Jesus of the Bible, not the Christ of the Bible. The real Jesus, his word is above his name. The real Jesus will not deviate from his word. The fake Christ, they absolutely will. They'll call people into ministry. They're called servants of Satan. You see? Hirelings, they'll go into ministry, but they're hirelings. They serve their belly. Their God is their belly. And so speaking to saints, don't follow these people. Don't follow these people. See, it's very important because these days are evil. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Do you remember if you listened to our study called, you know, about the pastoral epistles? Now, if you listen how we made reference to like, you know, the car where, you know, package one, package two, package three. Now, in these pastoral epistles, we're going to see more in these letters. You know, about the, the package deal. Remember package one, package two. And when we get into pastoral epistles, now we get into like, you know, package three, the full package. And that's what you want. You want a pastor who's the full package. Formula, formula. When you have a pastor who's the full package, it is safe to submit yourself to such a man. You see? But then you have pastors today who aren't even full package. They're like half package, quarter package. Sometimes they're just, they're nothing package. They don't, they don't meet the biblical qualifiers. And yet people submit themselves. You know, where you see the mega church, where you see like, you know, thousands of people in a church, that's no package. Look for, you know, smaller churches. Because the big churches, you know, big churches, you won't have pastors that teach truth. That even when it hurts, you won't have pastors that teach that. Because the multitudes, they want to feel good about themselves. You see? And it's very beautiful to feel good about yourself. But that only happens through obedience to God's word. Only. Because what if you're in sex and drugs and alcohol the whole nine yards and it's like you go to church and you feel good about yourself? Well, no. Because with the truth of God's holy word, you're going to feel like dirt. And I tell you from experience, you're going to feel like dirt. Why? Because the truth confronts the natural man. The truth confronts the natural woman. But if you're in sex and drugs, you know, alcohol and the Ouija boards and the occult and whatever, and then all of a sudden you go to church and you feel good about yourself, not good. That means the formula is wrong in you. 
But the formula is wrong in you for a reason. Because the formula in the sanctuary is wrong. And in the formula in the sanctuary is wrong, that also is for a reason. It's because the formula in the leadership is wrong. Pastors who are not teaching. Very important. These are private letters. Private letters. Senior Pastor Paul, a private letter to junior pastor Timothy and Titus. When I say private letters. I say that for a reason. Not like, you know, we can't read it because it's a private letter. No, but understand, in order to read this and understand, we must have the prior understanding that these are very, very special vessels. 10,000 pastors, 10,000 teachers in Corinth, and Corinth was a mess. 10,000 teachers in Corinth, and Corinth was carnal. 10,000. But there was one who cleaned house. There was another who informed Paul. Chloe. Chloe and Paul. You see? Beautiful. Paul and Chloe, Chloe and Paul. Did Chloe clean house herself? No. Why? Male headship. She didn't have male headship in Corinth. She went to her male headship, Paul. Spiritually speaking. Remember, coverings in the Bible, always male. Old Testament, New Testament. Coverings in the Bible, always male. And so we kick off our study here. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I love you. Okay? Heavy emphasis on my love for you. I love you. And it's through that love and by that love, in obedience to Jesus Christ, that we study these. Because it's the truth. And in love, teaching truth. Not run-of-the-mill pastors. In verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, apostle here translates as messenger. Don't forget, messenger, it's the formula, in, then through, in, then through. The Lord must do the work in you and then through you. But understand, you know, Paul himself was a disciple first, and then he became messenger. And look at the disciples in, in, in the Gospels. They weren't called apostles in, you know, Matthew. They weren't called apostles in Mark and Luke and John. No, they were disciples. They became apostles. You see? And apostle translates as messenger and more specifically, he that is sent. Those who are sent. You see? It's just not like, you know, oh, you know, like, a, 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 you know, oh, I'm a messenger. And like it said flippantly. Oh, I'm a messenger of the Lord. I'm a messenger of the Lord. I'm a messenger of the Lord. No, 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 no. Did the Lord call you to be his messenger? It's the Lord who says, Paul, I'm sending you. The Lord who says, Peter, I'm sending you. John, I'm sending you. Luke, I'm sending you. You're my vessel. Chloe, I'm using you. Priscilla, Aquila, I'm using you. 
Lydia, I'm using you. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, those who build. That's what the Bible says. Unless the Lord builds the house. Now, when the Lord builds, that's a sure foundation. And everything that is added is firm, strong, able, capable. Outside of that, sand. Not good. Not a firm foundation. When the formula is wrong, the formula must be right. And so we see here in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, this is around 63 AD. And in 63 AD, when Paul is writing this letter, understand that Paul is, he's going to be beheaded in a couple years. I mean, he's in prison writing to the next generation of pastoral leadership. He's about to be beheaded in in, in several more years from 63 AD. His crime, following Jesus. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, our elpis in the Greek, our elpis, elpis, our hope. Because you see, to Titus, in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, our blessed elpis, our blessed hope. Many people today say that the blessed Elpis is the rapture of the church, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus is the blessed Elpis, the blessed hope. People try to fit a circle in a square hole, fit a square in a triangle hole. doesn't work that way. No, the blessed hope is the rapture of the church. No, the blessed hope is Jesus. Now, if you're listening for the first time and you haven't listened to our rapture studies, listen to our rapture studies. Listen to a study called uh, Jacob's Trouble, Biblically Explained. Listen to another one called What is the Rapture? And then listen to our studies through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. You'll understand more. The pre-tribulation rapture is unbiblical. Pre-tribulation rapture, that the rapture happens before the 70th week of Daniel, is unbiblical. It does not fit the truth of Scripture. People say, well, it's not a salvation issue. Well, give it time. Because when the 70th week of Daniel starts, it will absolutely be a salvation issue. You see? Verse 2. To Timothy, a true son in the faith. A true son. Now remember, this is Paul. According to the flesh, he has no kids. He has no wife either. Man, his suggestion to people was, hey, don't get married. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. You'll understand more. I mean, his suggestion was, you know, don't get married. But if you have, if you can't control yourself with sex, get married. Other than that, don't get married. That's not a commandment of Paul. He just says, I'm just making the suggestion. Why? So that you can serve the Lord. Free of, you know... As spousal concerns. And when you are married, he says to the married, to you still serve the Lord, but to live as though you're unmarried and serve the Lord. That's hardcore. Me personally, I don't like, 
I don't like teaching about marriage. I mean, I like teaching about marriage so that, you know, marriages can be in accordance to the formula of the word of God so that marriages can be holy and blessed of the Lord. But a lot of times I don't like speaking about marriage and teaching about marriage because of carnality. Because husbands want to hear, oh yeah, pastor, hey, yeah, teacher, you know, tell my wife she has to submit to me. Tell my wife that she has to submit to me. It's like, okay, let me look at the formula in you, husband. Let me look at the formula in you, man. You're doing the sex, the drugs, the Ouija boards. You go to the, you know, the, the nightclubs. You do the uh, gambling. You're at the casino. You do all these things. You do your crack. You do your meth. Okay, wife, don't you dare submit to this guy. You see, you submit to Jesus Christ. Don't submit to this guy. You don't divorce him. I mean, you, say you, you, you know, you hold on to him for dear life because, and then you hold on to your kids for dear life. And in your, your body form wife, you're like a cross. You submitting to Jesus Christ. You got husband in one hand. You got the kids in the other hand, except for, uh, 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 sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Yeah, your, your, your husband's uh, uh, visiting the floozies. Your husband's going to the strippers. Your husband's going to the prostitutes. Okay, let go of husband. You see? You don't have to hold on to him now that that's your choice. You don't have to hold on to him. A lot of wives are sent on guilt trips. By pastors, those in ministry, elders, even the husband himself. A lot of wives are sent on guilt trips. Oh, God is a God of forgiveness and forget the fact that I was with these prostitutes and the strippers and the nightclubs and the pornography. Forget that, wife. Look, God is forgiving, so you need to forgive me, wife. And the wives are given guilt trips. The wife goes to the pastor. Hey, pastor, there's this problem in my marriage. What do I do? What do I do? And then you have the stupid pastor who says, well, submit to your husband and, you know, God is forgiving and Oh, your husband went to the prostitutes because look at you. You're kind of chubby. Oh, your pastor went to the pornography because look at you. You don't wear the makeup anymore. You got the love handles. So here's my remedy for you, wife. Go to the gym. Work out. Wear your fake eyelashes. Wear your makeup. 10 pounds of makeup. Do this. Dress like this. Behave like this so that you can please your husband and you don't force your husband to go to pornography and the strippers and this stupid, stupid, wicked pastors. Foolish men. Carnal men. Let me tell you something. Women, I love you. My beautiful sisters in Christ. When you hear a pastor talk about, you know, work out, wear your makeup, do the eyelashes, you know, dress like this, wear your 10 pounds of makeup. When you hear men speak like this, it's appealing to the carnal nature. In Christ, we move away from the carnal nature. You know what that means, my beautiful sister? That means you don't have to wear makeup. That means you you don't even have to do your hair. That means you can get the love handles. You can get chubby. That means, I mean, I mean, be gracious. Maybe brush your teeth, but you don't even have to brush your teeth. You could, you, I mean, you wake up in the morning and you have a, oh, I don't want to come near you, wife, because you have nasty breath. That's carnality. You don't have to, you don't have to go to the gym. I mean, if you, if you want to go to the gym and work out or whatever, that's on you. But in order to please a husband, 
We're moving away from the flesh. I mean, in Christ, in Christ, we move away from the carnal nature. We're moving away from the flesh. We're moving away from pleasing the carnal nature. We're moving away from pleasing the carnal mind, which means my beautiful sisters in Christ. That means, you know, you don't have to work out. You don't have to go to the gym. You don't have to feel like dirt because you're chubby. You don't have to feel like you're ugly because you're chubby. Because moving on to perfection, you, my beautiful sister, you're becoming more beautiful in Christ. That means you can be chubby, you can be wrinkly, you don't even have to wear the makeup, you don't even have to do your hair, because beauty is righteousness. Beauty is not found, you know, you know, you, you gotta look a certain figure, you have to have certain measurements, you have to dress like this, you have to behave like this, you gotta talk like this, you gotta wear the makeup, you gotta do the eyelashes, you gotta do whatever. Those are fools that give counsel like that. We're moving away from the carnal nature. That's the godly. The ungodly are running away from righteousness, running away from the spirit, and running towards the flesh. And they say, well, you have to please the flesh, so go to the gym, do this, do this, do that. Fools. For my beautiful sisters. You're chubby? Praise be to the Lord. You don't wear the makeup? Praise be to the Lord. You look at your pictures, like your 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 like your 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 old school pictures, you know, whether it be on your phone or even like super old school from like a photo album, like paper photo album, like a tangible photo album, and it's like, wow, you know, I, I don't look like I used to when I was twenty. I don't look like I used to when I was younger. But if you're in Christ, you've been growing, you've been maturing in Christ. You're more beautiful. A lot of women like that. It kills me. Pains me so much because you have stupid men at the pulpit. You look at women who, who look at their pictures when they were young. Like an old lady who's like, you know, 43. <laughs> an old lady who's like 60, 70, and like down, you know, like uh, you know, like a, a 50-year-old woman who like, oh, I'm ugly. I'm ugly because I'm wrinkly. I'm ugly because I'm chubby. I'm ugly because, you know, I put on makeup and I'm still ugly. I'm ugly because I don't fit these dresses anymore. I'm ugly because, I, and they look at the, look, look at me when I was 20. Look how beautiful I used to be. It's like, hold on a second, woman. My beautiful sister, hold on. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you walking according to the Spirit? Are you yielding to the Word of the Lord? Because if the answer is yes, and you love the Lord and you fear the Lord, this picture that you're showing me from, you know, years ago when you were 20 years old and you think you were beautiful then, I see you now, woman. And you are gorgeous. Wrinkly, chubby, you know, whatever it is, I don't care. You're gorgeous in Christ. Because the beauty of Christ, it's, it has nothing to do with the flesh. 
Even Jesus himself, there's no comely appearance to him. And look at his beauty. Look at his beauty. You see? But then you have these stupid, stupid carnal men. They call themselves pastors. They call themselves elders. And they say, well, you know, wife, your husband has a problem with pornography. Your husband goes to the strippers. Your husband goes to the prostitutes. And it's your fault. You see? These men have no business at the pulpit. No business being overseers. Because they are overseers of wickedness. Because they're wicked themselves. But in Christ, I don't care how chubby you are. I don't care, you know, the wrinkles. I don't care what, you, you, you might have no hair. You might have your, your hair is a mess. You might have, okay. You might even have bad breath. I don't care. You love the Lord. You fear the Lord. You're abiding in Christ. Moving on to perfection. Walking according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. You're growing and maturing in Christ. My beautiful sister, you are gorgeous. And I don't say that in a perverted mind. You are gorgeous, ready to be presented to our coming King. And your beauty is in Christ. You see? Remember, this is Paul. Writing these letters to the pastor, pastoral epistles. Writing these letters to pastors. And I say pastors, but specifically uh, Timothy and, and, and Titus. Not a run-of-the-mill senior pastor. Not run-of-the-mill junior pastors. These men, they're hardcore. You see? Remember, Paul doesn't have a wife. He makes the suggestion, you know, uh, don't get married. But it's a suggestion. It's a suggestion. It's not a command. That's why I don't like teaching about marriage. Because most of the time, Men and women are too carnal to understand. It's not like I don't like teaching about marriage because, you know, it's a, it's a sensitive topic and I don't like touching on it. No, it's not like that at all. It's because carnality, immaturity, babies. But we're moving on to glory. Moving on to perfection that has nothing to do with the flesh. Nothing to do with the flesh. When you hear a pastor give counsel, when you hear elders give counsel and they blame the wife. Oh, your husband need, you know, you let your, your chubby, you're wrinkly, you know, you don't look like you used to. And so your husband, your stupid husband went to the uh, strippers, went to the prostitutes, did his sexual stuff with the, you know, with pornography, with the strippers, with the, uh, at the nightclub, you know, with the, with the prostitutes, you know, he met him over here, he met him over there and he went to that and it's your fault, wife. Number one, that's wicked counsel. That's counsel of Satan.
Lucifer, using his vessels, using his servants. Number two, wife. The Bible, the word of God, new covenant, says you can leave that marriage. Biblical qualifiers for divorce. You don't have to hold on to that wicked husband. You see, you can get divorced and it's biblical. It is biblical, biblically true that the Lord hates divorce, but that's not your fault, woman. That is stupid husband's fault. You didn't break the marriage covenant. Stupid husband broke the marriage covenant. It's not your fault. See, a lot of pastors, a lot of elders in council, they give counsel carnally. Oh, it's your fault, wife. And it's a guilt trip. The wives are on guilt trips. Like, I don't want to be the result of my husband doing this. So I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to work out. I'm going to act like this. I'm going to behave like this. I'm going to do the makeup. I'm going to do these things. And I don't want to get a divorce because the Lord hates divorce. But don't forget, it is also written. And I'm not advocating divorce in saying this. But what I am advocating is a heart that stays intact before the Lord. And I'm speaking to the women. I'm speaking of your heart. Your heart intact before the Lord. Now, if you proceed in divorce, if that, that situation is where you're in, and you proceed with divorce, that doesn't mean you leave dumb husband and then, you know, marry husband number two, marry husband number three, marry husband number four. No, you're done. You're done. Unless the husband dies. You know, the first husband dies. Then you're free to marry, but marry in Christ. If your husband's still alive, your ex-husband, if he's still alive, that doesn't mean you get married again. That means you stay unmarried and you're, the better husband is Jesus Christ. I mean, the better husband is always Jesus, Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you go to, you know, husband number two, husband number three. No. Because you're just going to create even more problems. You are now creating more problems. It's called adultery. The church is in trouble. I mean, you hear us say the church is in trouble. That's not just a saying, you know, the church is in trouble. No, the church is in serious, serious, serious trouble. Because there are a lot of people who are adulterers right now inside the church. And if that is you, repent, 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 repent. You need to be right before the Lord. I have conversations with people all the time. One time, you know, several guys came to me. They're like, well, you know what? That means that if we do all these things that you prescribe, that means that our first marriage should have never been broken. Should I divorce my second wife and go back to my first wife? No, 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 no. Just repent, be right with the Lord, and let's move on. You see, the church is in trouble. Where are the pastors? Where are the pastors to teach? Where are the teachers to teach? Where are the elders to teach? Where are the overseers to teach? You see? And when Paul says here in verse 2, a true son in the faith, remember, he has no wife. Paul has no wife. He has no kids. But he's speaking of Timothy as a true son. 
It's much deeper than what mere words can describe. I meant when he says a true son, in the Greek it translates as a birth son. Remember, he has no wife, no kids. But it translates much deeper. He describes something much deeper. A birth son, a legitimate son, my own son, my sincere and genuine son. Now, that's Paul. But put yourself in Timothy's shoes. Consider the existential questions of Timothy when he was a child. Before he knew Paul. Remember, his mom is Jewish, his dad is Gentile. Grew up in a Christian home. But, don't forget, there's the thumb of Rome and the thumb of the religious leaders. And, you know, imagine a kid on the receiving end of ridicule when the parents are present. There might still be ridicule, but it's cloaked. But without the parents, ridicule is more cruel. Picture little Timmy growing up. Where does he fit in? Little Timmy, when he's just a kid, where does he fit in? His friends, oh, look, your mom and you come here. You're from a, a mixed home. You're from a mixed home. Look, your Gentile dad and Jewish mom. Oh, you're a mixed home. You're not purebred. You're not purebred. You're illegitimate. Picture little Timmy on the receiving end. Now, when his parents are with them, you know, ridicule is cloaked. But when his parents aren't with them, picture, picture little Timmy. The pains of a child by what they hear. The pains of a child on the receiving end of cruel ridicule. I meant sometimes in talking with adults, you have like a 40-year-old man, a 40-year-old lady who's, you know, grew up like a nerd, you know, didn't have a lot of friends. And like even still at age 40, just the thought of ridicule when he was a child, when she was a child, just the very thought of being ridiculed, it brings like immediately pain. With the Lord? Beautiful. Beautiful. Because the Lord, He'll take anybody. He loves, He doesn't care about what the outside looks. He doesn't care if you're a nerd. He doesn't care if you're chubby. He doesn't care if you're skinny. He doesn't care if you're popular. He doesn't care whatever skin color. He doesn't care about your, you know, your uh, socioeconomic stature. He doesn't care if you're an influencer. He doesn't care. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. That's what the Bible says. He sees the heart. You have little Timmy. Before he knew Paul, put yourself in little Timmy's sandals. 
and then the two pads connect. Paul and little Timmy. The two pads connect. So beautiful. And what happened, you know, it was prophesied that little Timmy would be in ministry. And so the parents raised him in the Lord, taught him in the Lord, you know, and, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, 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 Grandma Lois, Mom Eunice and Grandma Lois, they trained him up, raised him up. But then there came a point where they maxed out. Like, you know, we're going to train you up in the Lord, but we don't know the depths of the, the word of God. We don't know the depths of Torah. So, Paul, can you take him under your wing? Can you take him under your wing, Paul? And Paul does exactly that. Come on, little Timmy. My little wingman. I'm going to take you under my wing. Let's get you circumcised. You see, that's one of the very first things that happened with, with Timothy when he enjoined to Paul. Circumcision. Of the flesh. I mean, you hear us mention, speak of circumcision of the spirit, which is of the heart, which is beautiful. Women, you can be circumcised in Christ. Circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. But for Timothy, there's that too, but then also of the flesh. Why? Because if Paul went into synagogue, Timothy wouldn't be allowed to enter. Little Timothy, little Timmy, couldn't join Paul in synagogue. Why? Because it's for Jews circum circumcised males. They had, you know, certain synagogues had quarters for women or and quarters for Gentiles where they could hear. But there was a certain area where, you know, only male Jewish in accordance with the law could enter and listen and participate in worship in accordance to synagogue and accordance to law. Now, Paul went into synagogue for a reason. And it was specifically to go fishing. To go fishing. Remember, you hear us speak about warriors. It's like, you know, you have the, we have the, the shield, the helmet, the breastplate, the sword. But don't forget the fishing pole. Don't forget the net. And that's what Paul would do. Fully equipped for war. Fully equipped to fight. But then at the same time with the fishing pole, with the net. And that's what Paul would do. He'd go into synagogue. And if Timothy were not circumcised of the flesh, he would not be able to be with Paul. He would have to be separated from Paul. And that's the intimacy of Paul and Timothy. Timothy, little Timmy, you're my wingman. I'm going to take you under my wing. We're going to circumcise you. And now you're circumcised and you're going in the synagogue with me. And you're right here, joined at the hip. You're right here, little Timmy, right at my hip. It's not just so, you know, like, you know, just, you know, because I don't want to lose you. You know, I don't want to lose you in the crowd. No, little Timmy, you're young, but I don't care. You're young. That's nice. It's beautiful. All this time, you're going to watch me. Little Timmy, you're going to watch me fight. You're going to watch me engage. Because what Paul would do, go into synagogue, and he would reason to the, with the Jews and prove, prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Because remember, he's 
Before he came to Christ, Paul, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a teacher of Kohanim, a teacher of the Levitical priesthood. He knew his stuff. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees of the stock of Benjamin. Paul knew his stuff. Paul knew Torah. Paul knew the Old Testament. Paul knew the poetic verses. He knew the prophets well and better than most. If not the best. So he takes Timmy under his wing. Circumcises him. Timmy, you're going to be right. You're, we're going to be joined at the hip, little Timmy. And yes, mom, dad, grandma, they poured into you beautifully. But now we're getting down to business and you're going to watch me handle some business. And it's not in a prideful sense. Picture little Timmy at a young age. I mean, looking up at Paul. I mean, Paul in synagogue, you know, the, the stand, you know, the 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 uh, the priest would would speak, and then you know, all of a sudden, all these the so-called the the learned ones they would speak and you know uh, discuss passages. You know, does anybody have something to say about this? What we studied here from Moses, Paul would stand up. I have something to say now. Picture little Timmy, <laughs> freshly circumcised, little Timmy, freshly circumcised, able to enter synagogue with Paul, joined at the hip. The two were thigh to thigh, shoulder to shoulder, one's bigger, one's smaller. The two were there listening, little Timmy's listening. Probably a new experience for Timothy. Being in that particular position. Because remember before he was not circumcised. Maybe a first time experience. Listening to teachers of the law. Opening the scroll. You know we have books now. But back then I mean they still referred to them as scrolls. They would take out the scroll. You'd have the priest reading. From the priesthood. Reading. Does anybody have anything to say or comment about what we studied? People would stand up and speak. Oh yes. and Moses says this here. And the prophet Isaiah says this here. And anybody else? And one guy would stand up. Yes, Moses says this. And yes, we have to follow Moses. And no, he was a, a great man. Everybody nodding in agreement. All these religious leaders nodding in agreement. Does anybody else have anything to say? Now Paul stands up. Yes, I have something to say. Now, that's Paul. But picture little Timmy. See, just feeling that shoulder, like they're, they're sitting thigh to thigh, shoulder to shoulder, and all of a sudden, one shoulder rises up, Paul rises up, and put yourself in Timmy's sandals. Looks straight, sees the, the scroll on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, on the little tabletop or, you know, whatever platform, 
The religious leaders with their robes, beards. One guy speaks, another guy speaks, another guy speaks. Does anybody have something to say? Paul stands up and little Timmy looks straight and sees the religious leaders, the scrolls, and looks up and to the side at Paul. I have something to say. And little Timmy, who's heard the religious leaders say what they have to say. And then Paul starts to speak. Yes, Moses says this. And yes, the prophet Isaiah says this. But it is also written. Jeremiah says this. Psalm the psalmist say this. And Isaiah speaks of this, which correlates here. Which is a sign, it correlates to Deuteronomy, the writings of Moses. And he would put the pieces together. Verbally speaking, he would put the pieces together and not have like an argument about, you know, like a debate about who Jesus was. Paul would prove, prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Putting the pieces together. And then all of a sudden, people would start to follow Paul. People became Christians. And the religious, I mean, picture one week, you know, you, you have like, you know, full house, you know, full capacity. We got, you know, the men over here, the women over here, some of the uh, uh, Gentiles over here in their separate quarters because oh, we're godly men, we're godly people. We got to follow the, the writings of Moses, the teaching is of Moses. So, we, you know, we're awesome people. And so this and we got a full house, full capacity. We got our overflow over here, overflow over there. And wow, look, this is so cool. Look at all the money we can make. And then one week, Paul is there. People follow him. The next week, no more full house. Paul would come again, speak in the synagogue, not arguing, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Another week passes, no more full house. Now it's like, you know, empty seats. Another week passes. Now it's not just empty seats. Now it's nobody's coming. Think about what that did to the status quo. Paul's not only getting attention. He, now he's affecting the bottom line. Now he's affecting bank accounts of the religious leaders. You see? And little Timmy is seeing this. First-hand account, first-hand witness. He's watching it with his own eyes. A young kid. You see? That's beautiful. Now we fast-forward 14 years into the future. 63 AD. And Pastor Timothy, Junior Pastor Timothy, is reading this letter from Senior Pastor Paul. Paul is in Roman prison. In several years, he's going to be beheaded. And Pastor Paul speaks to 
Timothy in verse 2, a true son in the faith. Now, a true son. Paul doesn't have kids. Biological. Spiritual? Yes. You see? Put yourself on the in the sandals of little Timmy. Paul refers to little Timmy as my true son in the faith. But what about little Timmy unto Paul? Like my dad in the faith. When he says in the faith, remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, something we've studied already, a little refresher course. And Paul says, of all that Paul, all the people that Paul poured into, Paul says of Timothy that there is no one as like-minded as Timothy. Who sincerely cares for your state. Look at this beautiful duo. Paul and Timothy. Now. When Paul says in verse 2. A true son in the faith. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. In verse 3, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia. Now, we have historical references. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 1, but we have 63 AD, but we have these historical references. Remember, this is senior pastor Paul teaching junior pastor Timothy and exhorting junior pastor Timothy. Now, in the manner of prior urgings notice that the formula is exactly the same and remember little timmy he has had first-hand experience of paul engaging paul on offense he's he's seen paul on defense but he's also seen paul on offense engaging winning souls for christ Proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And in this same vein, in verse 3, he says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some. Very interesting that we see Ephesus, that you may charge some. Now, to charge some, it translates in the Greek as to transmit a message. And the message itself is a charge or command. So it's a tra- to transmit a message. Now, to give you an example, uh, say, for example, uh, you know, you and me are employees. We're employees. We're coworkers. You know, we have, you know, we have the same boss and we're coworkers. Uh, now, say, for example, like, you know, you take a phone call. You take a phone call and it's the boss and I'm listening and I hear you, but I can't hear the boss. And, you know, you hear the boss is telling you, okay, uh, tell him to do this, tell him to do that, tell him to do this, tell him to do that. And you get off the phone and I'm like, well, what did he say? And you tell me this is what the boss says. Now, I'm listening to you and I'm doing what you say, 
but it's in obedience to the boss because you know the boss called spoke to you and says uh tell this guy to take out the trash but and so you know i hear you say hey take out the trash but it's transmitting the message of what the boss says you see you speak but it's the source you speak and my obedience is to the boss but the message is from you and so we say that because we have to make these distinctions just like when when Moses is speaking to the people of Israel remember our study through the, the old testament through torah Moses would speak but is the Lord's words. Joshua speaking our study in Joshua, Joshua would speak, but it's the Lord who's saying, you know, Joshua, do this, do this, do this. And then Joshua says, you know, okay. And then he goes to the people, okay, this is what the Lord says. Do this, do this, do this. Now the people do. That's the formula. Old Testament, New Testament. And so when he says to charge some in verse 3, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some, which is to transmit a message but the message is a charge or command. It's just like, you know, this is what the boss says. Very interesting that we see this emanating from Ephesus. Remember our study in Acts 20? The elders in Ephesus, the elders of Ephesus, Acts chapter 20, the Miletus meeting. Remember? The threat, you know, when Paul says in Acts 20, after my departure, after my departure, the ravenous wolves will enter and even from among yourselves. Very interesting. What's happening in Ephesus? Warfare. Spiritual warfare. Casualties, shepherds turning into wolves. And that's what we see here in verse 3, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, no other doctrine, that they teach no other doctrine. In almost all translations, we teach out of the New King James Version, but in almost all translations, it, they remove the emphasis of the original text because the Greek says that they absolutely do not teach doctrine that is strange, different, or altered. Now, most translations say that they teach no other doctrine or that they don't teach another doctrine. But there's emphasis in the Greek. It's that they absolutely do not teach a doctrine that is strange, different, or altered. Now, how is it that a saint is to know if doctrine is altered? Truth must be known. Knowledge of the word of God must be known. Remember, knowledge is a gift. We have to be Bereans with noble hearts. We must be Bereans because if I tell you, hey, I'm going to cook for you the most best spaghetti you've ever had in your life. And then I give you a plate and there's like toast on it. And I tell you, how do you like the spaghetti? But you know, wait a second, this is just toast. 
Got a little butter here, some jam over here. It's just toast. This ain't spaghetti. And I'm like, oh, doesn't that smell good? Can't you smell the the noodles and the sauce? And all of a sudden, you're like, what? This is not spaghetti. Look, it's toast. It's bread. It's toasted bread. They got the butter here. There's no noodles. There's no sauce. There's no meatballs. It is toast. And then I keep telling you, oh, look, that's beautiful spaghetti. Now, the only way that you know is you know what spaghetti is. You know what toast is. And you know that the toast ain't spaghetti. You see, truth must be known. But it's the same way from the pulpit. The exact same way with the pulpit. Somebody could be saying all these things. Oh, yes, the Bible teaches this. The Bible teaches this. And turn here and we're going to study this. And turn here, we're going to study that. And oh, by the way, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That's like saying, hey, look, this is this spaghetti. I like this spaghetti. And you're like, oh, it's toast. This is not spaghetti. This is toast. Oh, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That ain't spaghetti. Because you know what spaghetti is. You know, okay, got the no-, no noodles, no sauce, no meatballs. I don't smell, you know, the, the, the beautiful smells of spaghetti. I see the toast. I smell the toast. This is burnt bread. And yet you have the guy at the pulpit. Oh, no, that's spaghetti. That's spaghetti. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. It's spaghetti. It's spaghetti. It's spaghetti. And you're like, that ain't spaghetti. Oh, let's go grave soaking, everybody. Oh, look, this is spaghetti. This is spaghetti. Let's go grave soaking. That ain't spaghetti. It's toast. Hey, everybody, God is done with Israel. The promises of God are now to to, to the church. He's all done with Israel. Look, it's spaghetti. It's spaghetti. And the whole time you're like, this is not spaghetti. This is toast. And yet the preacher guy comes up. Hey, everybody, let's everybody be, all the men be circumcised and let's follow Moses. And this is spaghetti. Look, it's spaghetti. It's spaghetti. It's spaghetti. Got the noodles, got the sauce, got the meatballs. And you're like, wait a second. There's no noodles. There's no sauce. There's no meatballs. I see Toast, because I know what spaghetti is, and this toast ain't it. And then you look around. You look around, and everybody's like, mmm, this is, this is good. This is delicious spaghetti. People are, people are like nodding. Oh, amen, amen, this is delicious spaghetti. And you're kind of, You're shocked. How is it that the people are in agreement to the preacher guy who says it's spaghetti when it's toast? The reason? They've never known what spaghetti is. They've never known what spaghetti is. And so the guy is standing at the pulpit saying, this is spaghetti. And they look down at the toast and say, yes, this is spaghetti. And they follow. 
Oh, this guy has his doctorate in theology. Oh, this guy went to seminary. Oh, this guy has his doctorate, his degree, and the master's in, in theology. Surely he knows what he's talking about. And I see this plate. It's got this object on it. And okay, surely this guy knows what he's talking about. This is absolutely spaghetti. And you're still in shock. All of a sudden you start to cry because the people don't know this is not spaghetti. Because you've, you've studied the recipe books. You know what spaghetti looks like. You, you even make handmade noodles. You know how to, you make your own noodles. You don't buy the little box or the little packet. You make your own noodles. You know the recipe and you know how to make delicious, delicious, delicious spaghetti. And then you look around, everybody's looking at a toast, piece of toast, and they're saying, wow, this is awesome spaghetti. It's not even spaghetti. And then you start to wonder, has everybody lost their mind? Because this delusion that I see is very strong. Because I go to another brother, I go to another sister, and I say, Hey, look, this isn't spaghetti, it's toast. And all of a sudden, they get mad at me. They hate me that I say these things. They hate me that I say, Hey, be careful with this preacher guy, because he's telling you that this toast is spaghetti. And all of a sudden, people hate you. And it's like, Oh my goodness, this delusion that people have, it is strong. And then you remember the scriptures. Strong delusion in the last days as a result of no love of truth. Now, I, I say spaghetti and toast. But the only way you'll know what spaghetti is and what toast is and what toast isn't and what spaghetti isn't is you have to to know what they are. He's, come on, let's, let's get back to the Bible. We're just talking about spaghetti and toast. Okay, we get it, we get it. It's a big deal. Because pastors get away with murder. In this life, they might get away with it. But in the life to come, whew, they're not going to get away with it. Because, you know, we say spaghetti and toast. And you figure, well, what's the harm in eating spaghetti or toast? What's the harm in eating toast? There's no fruit. There's no fruit of the Spirit with toast. There's fruit of the Spirit with the true recipe. There's the fruit of the Spirit with the true recipe. Learning to walk according to the Spirit comes from following the true recipe. But you have to know the true recipe. Because a pastor could say anything. But when people don't know the recipe, it's very dangerous to follow. The Bible says, yes, submit yourself to a pastor. For they watch out for your souls. 
That's what the Bible says. And it is absolutely true when the formula is right. Because some pastors watch out for their own belly. Some pastors watch out for themselves. Some pastors watch out for Satan. And to follow them, it's deadly. You see, you have to know the formula. You have to know the recipe. That's what we see here in verse 3. Because he says that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Remember, in the Greek, it is that they absolutely do not teach doctrine that is strange, different, or altered. How is one to know if doctrine has been altered? You got to know the original recipe. You see? Remember the strange fire of the two sons of Aaron? It wasn't the recipe that was given by the Lord. And what happened to them? God killed them. A lot of pastors today. Now, you hear us speak about the dangers of false pastors, false teachers, false prophets. Absolutely dangerous. But when you hear pastors, teachers, and they speak of Scripture and alter the truth of Scripture, and they alter Scripture to align with a preconceived notion, whenever you see Scripture being altered, I mean, multiple things are being revealed. But there's something very important that is being revealed. The pastor, the teacher, has no fear of the Lord. No fear of the Lord. I mean, I read my Bible and, you know, it's scary to be a teacher. It's scary to be a pastor because, you know, if you deviate from the word, that's like, you know, you're, you're opening the door of the lake of fire. If you're a teacher, if you're a pastor and you deviate from God's word, you're opening the door for the lake of fire for you and those who follow you. For me, that's scary. It, it terrifies me. So it's like, okay, we better be in the word. I better teach sound doctrine. I better teach God's holy word so then I can have a clear conscience before the Lord. I mean, it, it, not to sound selfish, but I meant like, I don't want to be in the lake of fire, you know. But when you hear pastors who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You hear pastors say, go ahead and let's go grave soaking. You hear pastors say, oh yeah, God is done with Israel. You hear pastors say, oh yeah, name it and claim it. Prosperity gospel, God wants us all to be rich. When you hear deviation from the truth of God's word, I mean, multiple things are being showed. Potential, you know, potential hireling, potential servant of Satan, uh, potential, you know, pseudodelphos and, you know, the tricksters who come in with another spirit, another gospel, another Jesus. Everything is, is in play. But what you also see is that particular person has no fear of the Lord. You see? 
no fear of the Lord, nor reverence for his word. And the word became flesh. No fear of God, no reverence for the word. That's what's being exposed. Among other things. These are all red flags. When you see this happen, and it is happen, happening exponentially in the last days. When you see this happen, you got to jump ship. I mean, if you're in a church where that is happening, you got to jump ship. That, sh- that boat is not safe for you. Jump ship. Not to sink in the water, but jump ship to another ship. It's called the ark. Jesus Christ, he's the ark of our day. You see? Pastors who have no fear of the Lord. Teachers who have no fear of the Lord. By what authority do they speak on the things of which they speak, which don't align with scripture? By what authority? It's an unholy authority. You see, wickedness, which is no authority at all, because the Most High is the Most High. Very interesting that we see this in Ephesus, the very overseers that Paul warns in Acts 20. You see, wolves. Now, Acts 20, timeline-wise, Acts 20 is written around... Or that account, not because remember the, the, the book of Acts written by Dr. Luke is spans a large period of time. But that particular time in Acts 20 was around 57 AD. The book of Ephesians was written around 62 AD. First Timothy is written around 63 AD. And we say that for a reason. I mean, at max, we have a six-year window, 57 AD to 63 AD. At max, we have a six-year window, and the wolves are very busy, and the wolves are very effective. Already, we just have a six-year window. And we see the wolves in Ephesus. Six years. What about 2,000 years? Give or take a couple years. What about... 2,000 years. Notice, when senior pastor Paul writes to the Ephesian saints, the book of Ephesians, I mean, if if you've been walking with us for a while, we studied the book of Ephesians. If you haven't been walking with us for a while, jump ship, walk with us, and listen purpose in your heart to listen to our study through Ephesians. But when you listen and read our study through Ephesians, senior pastor Paul, vessel of the Lord, he speaks to the Ephesians one way, which is rather gentle. I meant, you know, depending on, you know, what situation, I meant like, 
the, the, the carnality that we see in Corinth. I mean, you could a, a guy who's been uh, kicked out of the church, a guy who were you know when, when Paul says separate from the drunkards, the, the uh, uh, revilers, separate, you know the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. It's like, well, Paul's a mean guy because look, he kicked me out of the church. Uh, you know, you have to understand, you know, uh, yes, formula, but you have to understand making these distinctions because somebody's, oh, Paul's so mean. Look, he kicked me out of the church. Why did he kick you out of the church? Because he's mean. God is love and he's mean. Well, come on. Why did he really? Well, he said he didn't like that I'm having sex with my dad's wife. Well, that's kind of a big deal. You see? So some people say like, you know, oh, this guy's mean. This guy's mean. Well, why do you say he's mean? Well, because, you know, uh, he's just mean-spirited. He's not of the Lord because God is love. And Well, come on. Why, did, why, why are you really saying he's mean? Well, I let the wolf in my house to have sex with my kids. And, you know, he didn't like that. And so he's mean. What? Okay. He said that for a reason. You see? Well, because I do crack. I've been on crack for 10 years. And, you know, I, I, I drop my little baggies in the church. And the kids might pick it up and eat it. And, you know, he's so mean-spirited. But, you know, that's a, a little thing. It's not a little thing. The house of God must be clean. Now, when you understand formula, it's like the house of God must be clean. But then don't forget, in the sanctuary, you have babies too. And babies have accidents. Babies spill milk. Babies spill water. Babies have accidents. Now, babies don't stay babies. So we make these distinctions. You understand that you know babies have certain natures and characteristics. But so do adults. So do the mature. We make these distinctions. You see? And this, regarding Ephesus, this is just a six-year window. But when Paul speaks to the Ephesians, in, in, in the, the, the book of Ephesians, listen to our study through the book of Ephesians, you know, it's rather gentle. But when Paul speaks to Timothy, he speaks another way, more stern. Not stern like an attack on Timothy, but more stern in terms of, hey, keep the house clean. The house of God must be clean. I mean, you don't see in Ephesians, Paul saying, uh, in like in verse 3, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. I mean, like it translates in the Greek as that you may transmit this message which is a command that you transmit this message that they absolutely do not teach any other doctrine that is altered or different or strange you don't see paul say that in the book of ephesians i mean he's referencing ephesus but you don't see them he you don't see him say that to the saints you don't see them you don't see Paul say that to the pews. But Paul, a worker, says it to the worker. Paul speaks one way to the field, another way to the worker. You see? People say, well, you have to know your audience. That's foolishness. That's that's carnality. A lot of pastors, you know, well, you have to know your audience. So, you know, you speak like this or you speak like this. So you have to know your audience. Listen, this isn't a sales pitch. The word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not a sales pitch. 
You know, I understand completely, you know, if you're giving a sales pitch, you know, you, you know your audience. But the word of God, not a sales pitch. Do not treat it like business. I say it. Forgive me, Lord. Do not treat him like it's business that's of this world. Because it's heavenly. You hear like pastors speak, well, you have to know your audience and this and that. You got to know. And they apply like a like a business model. The, the, the church growth movement. Fools. The audience is Jesus. To be pleasing to him. God's word does not return to him void. It's not a sales pitch. You see? God's word does not return to him void. But you have to understand also the sharpness of the word of God. Very sharp. Sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, you want to chop down a redwood? You take an axe, it's going to take you a while. You take a chainsaw, it's going to take a while. You take the word of God, one slice. Not like a hack, hack, hack job. No, it's one slice, redwood falling. That's how sharp the word of God is. Not by your strength, not like a big, like mighty little thrust, like a, like a big mighty thrust and like, you know, one slice. No, it's just like a little flip, flick of the wrist. That's how sharp the word of God is. Very sharp. To speak. To speak in one manner to the field, to the pews, to the saints. To speak in one manner to them can be dangerous because they're babies. It depends on the field. But in the field is where you find the baby. What parent would give a steak knife to a baby that's crawling, hasn't learned to walk? What parent would give a sharp steak knife? Not the cheap ones, the expensive ones where, you know, it's not like you got to like slice and slice and slice and slice 50 times just to get a cut of steak. The kind where you just like rest the blade on the meat and it, the meat just cuts itself practically. A really, really good steak knife. Like one little slice and they get like the steak is cut. Not the kind where you get the, like, get the blunt blade and you got to like slice and slice like 10 minutes before you eat, eat a piece of steak. The kind where as soon as the blade touches the meat, like the weight of the blade will just cut the steak. Very useful, very useful tool to eat steak. I mean, in two seconds, in one second, in one second, like two seconds, okay? Like one second. The next second, the steak's already in your mouth. Very, very sharp. Very, very sharp. What parent would give, put that very, very sharp knife in the hands of a five-month-old. Is the child stupid? Is the knife ineffective? 
No, the parent is the fool. Parents shouldn't do that. It's not to say that the child can't one day handle that knife because surely that child, hopefully that child will one day handle that knife with skill. No cuts except for the steak. But a knife in a child's hand, not good. You see? And that's what we see with Paul. He's not giving this sharpness to the babies. He's not giving the sharpness and the, he's not giving the steak knife to the baby. But the steak knife to Timmy? It's not just safe, it is good. Because it's worker to worker. Not worker to field. Worker to field is, you know, Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians. That's worker to field. Worker to worker? No, you know, Paul said, you know, you know we don't have to use like little plastic knives. No, senior pastor Paul to junior pastor Timothy. No, we're using steak knives, the good ones. Because they're very effective. I shouldn't even say steak knives. Forgive me, Lord. We're using the sharpness of the true word of God. I say steak knives in that same example we gave. Not to give the steak knife to the little baby. Paul doesn't give the steak knife to the baby. But he gives the sword, which is, you know, cuts down redwood. It's like a little flick of the wrist. Little, you flip your wrist, redwood is falling. With an axe, you got to chop it down, chainsaw, you gotta, you're going to be there forever. You know, two-man team, you know, one guy in one end, the other guy in the other end, you're going to be sawing back and forth forever. But with the Word of God, the sharpness of the Word of God, just a little flick of the wrist, redwood is falling. That's how sharp and powerful the Word of God is. But the fullness of that is not given to babies. The full effectiveness of that is not given to babies. This is worker to worker, not worker to field. You see? We must make these distinctions. I mean, for me personally, when I hear a Christian, when I hear a saint give reference to something that is based on false doctrine. I'm gentle. I mean, you might be hearing that and you're like, well, that, that's gentle. But, you know, okay. So say, for example, I meet a brother. I meet a sister in Christ. And she's telling me about, oh, this pastor's so great. Look, he's got his study Bible. He's a great expositor of the Bible. It's like, okay, you know, I know where we're going with this. She keeps speaking about, oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. It's like, okay, I know where we're going with this. You know, okay, I'm talking to Calvinist. I'm talking to Reformed Theory person. But I don't just like bash her over the head with like, oh, you know, this is, you know, you got it. Like, no, no, it's very gentle. Very gentle. Or I hear like, you know, a, a, a guy comes to me speaking about the money preachers. Oh, I'm going to pray for you, brother, and you're going to win the lottery and this. It's like, ay, 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 ay. I mean, it's one thing if a, if a pastor comes to me and, you know, speaks to me one way because I know, okay, you, you, you're in the realm of teacher. You're in the realm of pastor. So let's, 
you know, let's let the sword work this out. The sharpness of the sword. And, Pastor, you might get cut. But when a baby, when an adolescent, when the field approaches me, oh, yeah, let me pray for you, brother, and God is going to make you win the lottery. Okay. Very gentle. But in my mind, in my mind, what I really want to say is, who's the freak show that you call pastor? A brother comes to me and starts, oh yeah, I went grave soaking last night. Oh, his sister comes to me, oh, I went grave soaking last night. It's like, oh my goodness, you can't handle the sharpness of, you can't handle the steak knife. You can't handle the steak knife, but what I, you know, and and the, the approach is going to be one way. The discussion is going to be in a manner that is safe for the baby. But in my mind, what I really want to ask is who in the world is the freak show that you call pastor? Because that's a wolf. That's a wolf without you even knowing it. And that's what we see in these pastoral epistles. You don't see the steak knives in Ephesians. You don't see the steak knives in Corinthians. You don't see it. Because it's worker to field. Very gentle. They're not able to handle steak knives. Because it's dangerous for them. But when pastor to pastor, senior pastor Paul writes to senior t- pastor Timothy, and not even steak knives, we're, now we're, it's like the, the sharpness of the, the word of God, or the sharpness of the sword, which is the word of God. And Paul says here in verse 3, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Remember, translate says that they absolutely do not teach doctrine that is altered or different. You see, just like the spaghetti and toast example, that they absolutely don't present toast calling it spaghetti. You see? In verse 4, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. You know how this translates? It's to don't pay attention to fiction and myths and endless genealogy tracing that's how it translates don't do this remember this is senior pastor paul to junior pastor timothy worker to worker about teachers in ephesus who are doing exactly this altering doctrine presenting different doctrine strange doctrine and the Endless genealogy tra- genealogy tracing. These are things that you see in the church today when you have pastors who teach lineage, 
I mean, there's lineage of the Bible, but then there's lineage where there's, you know, they get into certain bloodlines of families, of bloodlines of individuals, bloodlines of causes, bloodlines of movements today, and they line things up. It's like it's endless. Paul says, don't do that. Because he says here in verse 4, which caused disputes or debates and controversy rather than godly edification, which is in the faith, or godly stewardship, which is in the faith. You see, Ephesus had problems for a reason. Corinth had problems for a reason. You have pastors and teachers and elders and overseers who were sidetracked. Overseers who were sidetracked. Look at Galatians. Strange doctrines, different doctrines, altered doctrines, giving heed to fictions and endless genealogies. I mean, in the case of Corinth, look at the fruit of it. You have the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. Look at the fruit. Look at the defunctness in the church. Look at the carnality in the church. I mean, you know, 1 Corinthians 5, before Paul says to the remnant, separate, separate from them. Look at the fruit, the ugly fruit, the nasty fruit, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, the works of the flesh inside the church. You see, the pastors were defunct. The overseers were defunct. Potentially, potentially wolf material. In some cases, hirelings. In some cases, just flat out defunct. In other cases, straight up wolves. Inside the church, standing at the pulpit, which is deadly for the saints. Sometimes people tell me, I don't like how you refer to pastors as defunct. I don't like how you speak this way about pastors. I don't like how you call this pastor defunct. What do we call them? What do we call him? You see? You look at the fruit. You look at the doctrine. There's no victory. Saints who are on the pathway to hell, depending on the doctrine. I mean, if a guy says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That's like a fire. What do we call him? Tell me, O oh learned one, what do we call them? Because worker to worker, senior pastor Paul to senior pastor Timothy, he says, charge them that they teach no other doctrine. And we're just getting started. He speaks more. We're going to get into, you know, there's still chapter two. There's still second Timothy. There's still Titus. There's going to be more. We're just getting started. You see, 
Look at the defunctness. Look at what the defunctness cost. Corinth. A heavy cost. You see, when leadership is defunct, it just spreads. The defunctness enters the camp. You see? It spreads. As a result of leadership. That's why, you know, you, you, you see these works of the flesh in churches. And, you know, yes, saints have a responsibility. And I get that. But I place greater blame on the pastor, greater blame on the teacher. That's where I place most blame on because they're not teaching. They alter, they, they alter the word of God. They're changing the word of God, which shows they have no fear of the Lord. And if they have no fear of the Lord, who is it that they're obeying? It could be their belly. It could be, you know, their own self-interest. And it also could be Satan. Oh, I don't like how you call them defunct. How dare you call them defunct? What do you call them? What do we call them? Oh, but God is love. God is love. Understandable. Yes, absolutely. Amen. He is. But remember, we're in the pastoral epistles. Paul to Timothy. We're not in Ephesians. We're not in Corinthians. I meant Paul cleaned house. The Lord cleaned house using vessel Paul and vessel Chloe. And, you know, little Timmy was a runner too. Look at the vessels who the Lord used. Clean. Not defunct. Clean. Only the clean can clean. I'll say it again. Only the clean can clean. Old Testament, New Testament. Only the clean can clean. Pastors. You see? This... Disputes that are referenced in verse 4. When there's deviation, it causes disputes and controversy rather than godly edification or stewardship, which is in the faith. So what's better? A church that knows all genealogies or a church with all the gifts of the Spirit? What's better? A church that knows all genealogies? Or a church that has all the gifts of the saints? And the Lord distributes to each individually. A brother speaks in tongues, a sister interprets. Gifts of faith, of prophecy, of wisdom. What's better inside a church? You see? Remember, the greatest gift is love. Surely it's the gifts of the Spirit. You see, we have to understand these 
We must understand. Because these days are evil, these days are wicked, and not to to suggest that we should only understand it for this generation. The prior generations, surely these things should have been known, but surely these things must have been taught. But to look at the state of the church today in these last days, you know what that shows us? It hasn't been taught. How is it that saints don't... I mean, have you ever spoken to a Christian... And you're speaking to another brother, another sister in the Lord, and then they tell you, wow, I never knew that before. I never knew that there was a mark of the beast. What? How long have you been a Christian? Well, I've been going to this church my whole life, and I've never heard about the mark of the beast. What? What I want to say is, you know, who's the freak show that you call pastor? But I don't say refrain, you know, self-control, the gift of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit. We see this in verse five. Now, the purpose of the commandment, which is remember transmit transmitted message as a charge or command. The purpose of the commandment is love. Love, and this is agape, agape love, which is sacrificial, but also translates as love feast. Love feast. I'll give you an example of what love feast is, doctrinally, scripturally, with sound doctrine. To give you an example of what love feast is, I mean, say you have a big family dinner, like Thanksgiving dinner. You know, I teach from America, so we have, you know, Thanksgiving dinners, but like, you know, any family get together. Now, within a family, you're going to have all kinds of people. You're going to have like, you know, the crazy liberals. You're going to have like the perverted uncle. You're going to have like the cousin who's a crackhead. You're going to have, uh, you know, the uh, uncle who's a Christian, but, you know, he's, you know, taking the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved type, you know. You're going to have another, you know, aunt who's a Christian, but she's like, you know, with the money preachers. And you're going to have people who are worldly. You're going to have the guy who's a pothead. You're going to have, you know, the kid who, the, 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 the guy who, you know, has a girlfriend and has kids. And you're, you're going to have all kinds but then you take a church family. Now that's biological family. But then you take church family. And when I say church family, I'm just the broad church. You're going to have the broad church family. Which it pains me to say this. Which is almost identical to the biological family. I mean, biological family, they have, they're relating, you know, biological relation. But when I say church family, the broader church sense, you're going to see the exact same works of the flesh. Get the crackhead over here, the sex head over here, the crazy doctrine over here, and the, 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 the one who, you know, has a girlfriend and has like three kids with the girlfriend, you know, living in sin. That's the church. We're speaking of the broader church. then when the formula is right there's going to be a different family altogether and that is the ecclesia 
a group of people who are called of the Lord, a body of the called, a body of the saints, the ecclesia. When you have that and when you're there and amongst them, it's going to feel like home. It's going to feel like home. It's so beautiful. You have big family get-togethers, biological family, big family get-togethers, and it's like, okay, yeah, it pains you, but, you know, you're, you're there. You're in pain over this, this, this. You say, you know, don't go near this guy because he's a pervert. Don't go near that lady. She's a pervert. Got the crackhead over there. Got the crazy over here. Crazy over there. And then you go to the broader church and it's a you know, similar get-together, same size. You're going to have the exact same thing. Defunct pastor that doesn't teach truth. Formula is crazy. Formula is bad. Formula doesn't align with scripture. You're not going to have the fruit of the spirit. You're going to have the fruit of the flesh. Same. You go, okay, this guy's a pervert. This lady's pervert. Got the crackhead over here. Got the pothead over here. Got the gambler over there. Sometimes they're intermixed. Sometimes it's all in one person. You know, uh, you got a, a, a twofer. You know, you get, the, you get the sex head and the gambler. You got the crackhead and, the, you know, the, the, the whatever. Because remember, when the formula is wrong, they're not going to be able to fight according to the spirit. Remember how the demons work? A demon comes out of a guy and then the demon comes back. And when he sees that it, the person hasn't been equipping, the person's on spiritual vacation. Then he goes back and gets his friends and comes back with demons that are worse than him. Then the state of that man is worse. So when the formula is wrong, a Christian isn't going to be equipped to fight that fight. So it's like, wow, you know, this guy used to be a sex head and, you know, he calls himself a Christian, but now he's like the sex, the drugs, all like the whole nine yards, Buddha, what, you know, all he's everything now because the demons came back with friends and he wasn't equipped to fight. So he lost. So you're with biological family, you're kind of bummed out. Like your heart is breaking. Okay, look, got all these people here. And you're with the church family, the broader church, and it's almost identical because you have defunct pastors. But then there's another separate get-together, which is, you know, family one day, the broader church family another day, but then on the third day you have another get-together, which is the remnant. And that is like music to your ears, music to your heart, music to your soul, sweet hymns to your soul. The Ecclesia, Koinonia, Hagios, a body of those who are called of the Lord and called by the Lord and called into the Lord and who are abiding in Christ. That's going to be, it's, it's different. It's different. 
you might have tasted that. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You might have never tasted it. You have no idea what I'm talking about. But it's real. When you're among the remnant. And that's where we see love feast. The purpose of this transmission, Paul says in verse 5, the purpose of this transmitted message or transmitted command. It's not Paul saying, okay, this is my order. Paul is like on the phone. This is what our boss says. And not to cheapen Jesus Christ, but in that same manner, it's like, this is pleasing to the Lord. This is his desire. This is what he wants. The purpose of the command is love, love feast, like agape, but it includes love feast. And that's what it means in the body of Christ, the love feast. You got your biological family, you got the crazies, you got the church family, you got the crazies, but among the ecclesia, episunagage, it's a different ballgame. This is the remnant. Love feast. I mean, when Paul references love feast to the Corinthian saints, the leaven is not there. It's among the remnant when Paul speaks of the love feast. And you know, that's who part, the remnant is who partakes of communion. You see? The cup of blood. It's the remnant that partakes. No communion in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 4. The love feast is the remnant. And the purpose of the command is love from a pure heart, which is, you know, Purity of heart isn't bred through the flesh. It's heavenly. It's of the word of the spirit. From a pure heart, from a good conscience. This is the inner man, the inner woman. Undefiled. Undefiled. I mean, have you ever felt the conviction of the spirit and then you repent you get right with the lord and then you know a week later two weeks later you no longer feel the conviction of the spirit that means your inner man your inner woman has been cleansed now you know before it was defiled and now it's not defiled and that's what you see among the remnant not defiled clean before the lord You see? And when you have a clear conscience before the Lord, anybody can say anything about you. The more they hate you, the more you love them. Why? You have a clear conscience before the Lord. Oh, you're so mean, you're so mean. It's like, the more they hate you, the more you love them. Why? Because they're deceived. Because they don't have eyes to see. They don't have ears to hear nor understand. 
oh, Paul, you're so mean, you're so mean. Remember, this is worker to worker, not worker to field. Field is the one that says, oh, you're so mean, but, you know, that's field to worker. Oh, you're so mean. Okay, understand. Field and field, that's one thing. Worker, worker, that's another thing. Worker to field is one thing. See, remember, we make the distinction between worker and field. I should have mentioned that earlier, but we make the distinction between worker and field. When you listen to our study to Corinthians, you'll understand more. That's the purpose. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. Wait a second. But verse five, the purpose of the command is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience. And that's what we want. We want the, the love feast among the remnant. We want purity of heart. We want purity of conscience undefiled that's the purpose that's why the doctrine needs to be sound i mean among other reasons to honor the lord and to fear the lord and to love the lord and to glorify him but you know in addition that's why because we want the love feast inside the camp I mean, when Paul says that they absolutely teach no other doctrine that is strange, different, or altered, people can say, oh, that's so mean, that's so mean, that's so mean. Look, look, he, he just loves us, so he's telling us to take the mark of the beast so that we can still be saved. That it's okay, we'll still be saved. Take the mark of the beast, still be saved. Look, he just loves us. He wants good things for us. He wants us to go lay on the graves. That ain't no love feast. No love feast. It's going to be like the biological family. You get together, you have the family get together, you got the crackhead over here, you got the pervert over there, you got the pervert over here, you got the sex head over here, you got the strippers over here, you got the Buddha over here, you got the Mary worshipers over here, you got the Krishnas over here. Yeah, you have a fellowship. But where is the Lord? That's Laodicea. When the Lord is on the outside, we want the Lord inside. You see? The purpose is for the love feast to be inside the camp. I mean, there's, you know, you hear us say, you know, to, to be hardcore, there's no other way to live and to be hardcore. It, it, we don't just say that flippantly like, oh yeah, let's be hardcore. Like, you know, tough guy, tough guy, tough guy. no. no. Nothing like that. That's carnal. But to be hardcore, no other doctrine. Because what emanates from the word of God? Everything beautiful flows from the truth of God's holy word. When that very holy formula is altered, it's not just what stops, but what can come in? The field very rarely understands. Very, very rarely understands. Which is why you hear us say from time to time, like you hear me say, I don't like talking about certain subjects. I don't like talking like marriage. I don't like talking about marriage. I don't like teaching about marriage. Because the majority... Don't under, I mean, like, listen to our prior studies, you'll understand more, but I, I just don't like it. 
I'll do it, you know, in obedience to the Lord, I'll do it. Gladly, willingly. We'll cover it. But there are certain things that I don't like touching on. One of them is marriage. Understand there is a better marriage. There is a better husband. I mean, you listen to our study in Romans, you'll understand more. Jesus. You see? We want the love feast inside the church. Day number one, you have biological family get together and it's like a bummer. You know, you have the smile, you know, God bless you, you know, pass the potato salad. Okay, here you got mashed potatoes over here. You got your collard greens over here. Yeah, I love you, you know. Kids, stay away from him. That guy's a pervert. Then day number two, it's like, yeah, okay, you have your broader church family. God bless you. Yeah, I love you. But the whole time you're like heartbroken. Your heart is like aching. Like they, they, I want these people to know and they just... <sighs> but then on the third day, among the remnant... It's different. It's it's different. Beautifully different. Because it's holy. And that's what Senior Pastor Paul is writing to Junior Pastor Timothy. We want the love feast. We want the love feast in all the churches. Pick, take Corinth, for example. You got the large megachurches in Corinth. They got a lot of people. And you got this little tiny house on the hill, Chloe's house. Not mega in any way, shape, or form. But where's the love feast? You see? Where is the love feast? It's with Chloe's house. It is safe in Chloe's house where the love feast is. Now, it's not to say that the love feast can't come to Corinth. The love feast returns to Corinth, but the, rem or, or the, the leaven is gone. The leaven is dealt with. Remember, only the clean can clean. The purpose of the commandment in verse 5 is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Sincere faith. You know how this translates in the Greek, this sincere faith? It's faith that is in the Greek. Anupokritos. Anupokritos. That's sincere faith. That means it's sincere. Un undissembled it is genuine it is not fake it is without hypocrisy it is not counterfeit it is not misleading through trickery and lies remember this is senior pastor paul who's not like the average bear 
And he's speaking about fake faith. Fake faith to Timothy. And this is the purpose of the commandment. I mean, you see, remember the, the, the three examples we gave biological family, the broader church family, and then the remnant family. And the biological family and the broader church family are almost identical. And in the church family, you have people speaking Christianese. You have people who say the name of Jesus. But you also see the fake. You also see the hypocrite. You also see the counterfeit. You also see the misleading through trickery and lies. You ever see men? Oh, yeah, I'm a godly guy. I'm a godly guy. But you know what? My wife doesn't know. But you know what? I go to the strippers. My wife doesn't know. But I say I'm working late and I go to the prostitutes. Men. Men in ministry who have gone to prostitutes more than 65 times. And the wives know nothing about it. You see? That's counterfeit faith. That's faith that misleads through trickery and lies. And the wife, oh yeah, my husband is godly. Oh, my husband is faithful. Really? You know what your husband's involved with? I meant, remember, we're in the pastoral epistles. We have to be straight up. And we have to understand this is worker to worker. Now, you know, worker to field, we've been studying those. Those are the epistles. Those are, you know, like John, James, Paul, uh, Luke, Mark, Matthew. Worker to field, worker to field. You know, gospels and a, a, a account of walking with Jesus Christ. Now we're looking at worker to worker. And not just run of the mill worker to worker. We're talking hardcore. And hardcore worker to hardcore worker, Paul to Timothy, says that's the purpose of the commandment. We want to avoid the, the fake. We want to avoid the hypocrisy. We want to avoid the counterfeit and the trickery and the lies. We want to avoid this. We want the love feast inside the camp. We want the love feast among the saints. But we cannot have the love feast where we find the hypocrite, the misleading, the trickery, the lies, the fake, the ungenuine. We cannot have the love feast when that happens. So how does it happen? Defunct leadership. Look at Corinth. Look at Corinth. The works of the flesh under the defunct pastors, the defunct elders, the sex, the drugs, the extortion, all the works of the flesh. Paul says, separate. He says to the remnant, separate from the leaven. The separation, painful, yes. But we want the love feast inside the camp. And in order to have the love feast inside the camp, that means leaven 
outside. That means leper outside. You see? The old as a shadow of the things to come. If you've been walking with us for a while, you know our study through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know. Leprosy outside the camp. Love feast inside the camp. Can you see my beautiful friend? Can you see my beautiful brother? Can you see my precious, precious, beautiful sister? And so we continue in verse 6. Regarding the pure heart, the good conscience, and the sincere faith in verse 6, from which some having strayed. Remember, this translates as to deviate from truth. Stray, to deviate from truth. Also remember, we're about six years deep from Acts 20. Six years. Look at what has happened. What about 2,000 years, give or take a couple years? We're six years deep. And look at what the state of the church is when Paul writes to Timothy. And we're just six years deep. What about 2,000 years deep? Give or take a couple years. But we see here in verse 6, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, which is to turn away and to turn away from truth and into babble. Babble. They appear to be pastors. They appear to be teachers. They appear to be qualified. But in reality disqualified, unfit for the work. Oh, you're so mean, you're so mean. Remember, this is senior pastor Paul to junior pastor Timothy, and they're not run-of-the-mill pastors, they're hardcore. Paul doesn't train. Paul, who's not like the average bear, doesn't train the average bear. He trains those who are not like the average cub. And now, little Timmy, he's not little Timmy anymore. Now he's grown, he's matured, and now he's Timothy. He's not like the average bear either. Why? Look at his teacher. The next generation of leadership. You see? Look at verse 7. Desiring to be teachers of the law. Bingo. Bingo. We have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. In verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law. Remember what happened in Galatia? Remember our study through Galatians. What happened when the preacher guys came in? The preacher guys came in, they looked the part, they talked the part, they got the doctorate, they got this, They the, surely they're learned men. Remember what Paul says? I don't care, that's nice, it makes no difference to me. I don't care what their credence is, makes no difference to me. What is it that they say? 
And Paul says, in very short order time, we realize these are servants of Satan. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. Listen to our study of the Galatians. You'll understand more. I don't care what he has to say. I don't, I don't, I don't care what his doctorate, his theology. I don't care his, I mean, not, I, I care about theology, but you know, I don't care about his, his credence, his credentials. I don't care about the seminary. I don't care about the doctorate. I don't care about, you know, the uh, master's degree. That's nice. What is it that he says? What is his theology? And that's one thing. But does it align with the truth of Scripture? Because if his doctrine is toast and he's presenting spaghetti, that's not good. That's wolf territory. And wolves get killed by the warriors. Metaphysically speaking, You see, what happens when the wolf comes in and is unidentified as wolf? Not good. Remember Paul said, yeah, like the, the preacher guy comes in, they say this, they say that, that's nice, makes no difference to me. They got, they look like they got that, that special the, the, the garb and they look like this and that's nice. What does he have to say? And is what he says, does it align with the truth of Scripture? Old Testament, New Testament. And what happened in Galatia? They were putting up with it. You see, the saints were putting up with it. They didn't recognize that this was the Sudadelphos. They didn't recognize that this was the servant of Satan. And what were they trying to do? Bring people into the law. Remember, to be in the, to abide in the law is to exit Jesus Christ. To abide in the law is to exit the fulfillment of the law. The law is still holy. Remember the low beam, high beam? I mean, I make these references with the luxury of having the base plate of our prior studies. I say these things while also encouraging you to listen to Galatians study. The introduction to Galatians and, you know, all of the entirety of the book of, uh, of the book of Galatians. Because you'll understand more. So you have these people desiring to be teachers of the law. Understanding in verse 7, neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. You see? They look like teachers, but they are fools. You see? Now, is the law the end all? No. It's not only the law. No, notice, defunctness comes in all shapes and sizes. You have people who desire to be teachers, people who desire to be pastors, and introduce the law to saints. But you also have people who desire to be teachers, desire to be pastors, and they introduce sex, they introduce drugs, they introduce alcohol, they introduce walking according to the flesh, they introduce all kinds of different things. They introduce Eastern mysticism, they introduce, you know, the, the Krishnas, they introduce Buddhism, they introduce Mary, they introduce fill in the blank. 
The law isn't just it. I mean, the law is one of many. But you have people desiring to be teachers. Brother James says, let not many be teachers. You see? Remember, this is senior Pastor Paul writing to, to junior Pastor Timothy. But remember, Paul, before he came to Christ, is a former Pharisee. And not the run-of-the-mill Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel, of the stock of Benjamin. He knows his stuff. I'm not advocating those attributes of the law nor the avenues of the law, but he knows his stuff. And little Timmy, freshly circumcised, remember 14 years ago? Little Timmy, freshly circumcised, hearing, seeing, hearing, witnessing Paul engage in the synagogue, proving that Jesus is the Messiah, knowing that Paul himself, a former Pharisee, a former abider in the law, And speaking of the law, senior Pastor Paul, who's no longer abiding in the law, but abiding in the law's fulfillment, Jesus Christ, says this in verse 8. But we know, we remember, Paul to Timothy. But we know, Paul to Timothy. I mean, the saints should know this. In Galatia, they didn't know this. Paul wrote the letter, you know, Galatians. They didn't know this. But the saints should know this. But this is a letter specifically from Paul to Timothy. And he says, but we know. You and me, we know this, Timothy. We know that the law is good. If the word of conditionality that the law is good. What's the condition? If one uses it lawfully. Translates as legitimately. You see? Remember, this is Paul to Timothy. Senior Pastor Paul, Junior Pastor Timothy. Knowing this. That the law is not made for a righteous person. But for the lawless. Whoa. For the lawless? Remember, Paul to Timothy, senior pastor Paul, who's not like the average bear, to junior pastor Timothy, who's not like the average bear. He's not a cub anymore. Now he's a bear. This is sword level. This is worker to worker, sword level. This isn't like, you know, uh, in Corinth, they have to use little plastic spoons or plastic knives. This isn't Galatia where they got to use plastic knives. This is... The sharpness of God's holy word. Worker to worker. This isn't, you know, little plastic knives. The law is for the lawless. Remember, the, these are people who are, the, the, this threat that has entered the church, they desire to be teachers of the law. 
And the law is not made for the righteous person. The law is made for the lawless. Now, knowing this, who in the world are these teachers who want to come into the church to teach, to pastor, to shepherd? They got credentials. They look like a pastor. They speak like a pastor. Remember, to abide in the law is to exit Jesus. The law's fulfillment. Again, listen to our, if you're hearing this, listen to our study through Galatians. Now, understanding the distinction between field and worker, when Paul is writing worker to worker, How do you think the field would respond? Oh, Paul, you're so mean. Timothy, you're so mean. Look, this guy is loving. So what if he wants to teach us to do the law of Moses? Look, he's loving. He's kind. So what if he wants to teach us to perform, the to, to celebrate feasts and festivals and Look, that's a good thing. Jesus was Jewish. But for them, the wolves are inside the camp. You see? It's very serious. This is heaven-hell territory. Remember, worker to worker. Not a lot of books in the Bible that are worker to worker. The vast majority of the books of the Bible are worker to field. And the word became flesh. Understand. In verse 9, the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate. This is the disobedient and unsubmissive. That's what the law is for. I mean, you have, say you have a pastor where the formula is right and he keeps the house of God clean. And then you have saints who are babies, which is beautiful. But then they stay babies. That's not good. Why are they staying babies? Say the person is doing his sex. The lady's doing her drugs. And the lady is, whatever it is, men, female, it doesn't matter. And then there's warning upon warning, urging upon urging, teaching upon teaching. And then ultimately it's okay. Listen, this is a fellowship, but you cannot fellowship here anymore. You see? Because for the other saints, for the remnant, they cannot bear your burdens. Because if they bear in your burdens, it's now dangerous for them. You're presenting harm. Now, this if a person's a brand new believer, been a Christian for a month, don't do this. But a person's been a Christian for five years, 10 years, 20 years, and they're still doing the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the Buddha, the Krishna, the, the Mary, all kinds of stuff. That's leaven territory. 
pastor says, listen, you can't fellowship in here anymore. Now, we live in a day and age where, you know, we have churches on every corner. They can say, okay, I'm not going to go here anymore. I'm going to go to this church over here. And I'm going to tell everybody that you're stupid, that you're dangerous, that, you know, you don't have any love. I'm going to go and share all these things. That's fine. The pastor can still have a clear conscience before the Lord. I mean, expect that. You know, don't expect to be popular when, you, when, when the formula is right in you. Don't expect to be popular. But notice that the law is for the lawless and the insubordinate, the unsubmissive. See, when the formula is right in a pastor, it is safe to submit to such a man. When the formula is wrong, it is unsafe to submit. Do not submit when the formula is wrong. But when the formula is right, such men watch out for your soul. I mean, he says, don't do your crack. Okay, throw the crack away. Put it in the toilet. He says, you know, don't go to the strippers. Okay, don't go to the strippers no more. See, he's watching out for your soul. There's a reason so that you can be clean before the Lord. But then he says, hey, you know, don't invite the wolf into your house so she can have sex with your kids. And then you run to another church. Listen. Hello, law. See? Hello, law. In the law is death. Oh, I go to this other church over here. I want to go to the church and feel good about myself. I want to do my sex and feel good about myself. I want to do my drugs and feel good about myself. I want to do my alcohol, my whiskey, my Ouija boards, my, you know, my lying. I want to be a tax cheat. I want to do all this. Go to the casino, go gambling, do all the, the Mary, the Buddha, the Krishna. I want to do all this and I want to go to church and feel good about myself. And so I can go to this church and this guy will, he makes me feel nice and good. I get my warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. You see, remember, the ministry of the spirit of the Lord it goes into the world. He goes into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. You see. And when a person yields to the spirit, which is also to yield to the word of God, because the spirit of the Lord brings a person to the word of God. But if you go to church and, you know, you're in sin and you want to feel good about yourself and you go to church and you do feel good about yourself, that's not good. That's not good at all. You know what that shows? There's no oil in that camp. There's no power in that camp. You see, that is doctrine that is strange, different or altered. And if the vessel has no oil, they're in trouble. You see, we have to understand formulas. It's so beautiful. When the formula is right, and you have men who watch out for your soul, and you know, it's not just a blanket statement like, you know, oh yeah, this guy watches out for your soul. No, there's there's a formula behind watching out for souls. Very specific. I mean, if, if I were speaking to pastors only, we, we, like we would get hardcore into this. But there's a specific formula for watching out for souls. 
very specific. And it's safe. It's safe for the saints. For Corinth to yield to Paul. I mean, 10,000 teachers. And you have saints yielding to 10,000 teachers. Look at the fruit. A total of 10,001. 10,000 teachers and one Paul. Where is it safe? To yield to the one. That means 10,000? Bye-bye. I mean, for the remnant. You see? It is safe to yield to Paul. It is safe to yield to Timothy. It is safe to submit to Titus. It is safe to submit when the formula is right to Paul, to Titus, to Timothy. It's beautiful. But when the formula is wrong, Oh, I want to go to church and feel good of myself. I want to go to do my gambling, do my sex, do my rock and roll, the whole nine yards. And I go to this church and, oh, yeah, I feel really good about myself. That's not good. Because if you're in sin, the Spirit of the Lord will convict. But if you run to places where there's no conviction, hello, law. And when you listen to our study in Romans, listen, read Romans and listen to our study, you understand that in the law is death. Not good. Now, there's a danger about, you know, once you realize, once a person realizes that they're in the law, now they're in the valley of decision. Now, you know, multiple valleys of decision that every Christian gets into. But when a soul realizes that they're in the law, it's kind of a different ballgame. Because the Spirit of the Lord will still convict. But there's a danger behind being in the law once again. Because now we're into Hebrews 6 territory, the re-crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which the Bible says it's impossible to restore a person. You either come back to Jesus, come back to the Lord, Come back where there's green pasture and still water. Or you continue to run away. That's not good. Because now we enter Hebrews 6 territory, which is the, you know, it is impossible to restore such a one, such a soul. Because, you know, you're playing games with the Lord. But then you're also entering Romans 1 territory, which is the wrath of God. Not on the earth, on individuals. Then you see all kinds of, you know, sexual sin gets worse. The works of the flesh, it gets worse. It's the wrath of God. It's because a person gives up on God, God gives up on them. Remember, he is reactionary. It's not without warning. There's plenty warning, ample warning. And I know that just mentioning that is terrifying. And, you know, mentioning it is terrifying. But to be in it is more terrifying. To be in the ultimate end of it, which is lake of fire, that's more terrifying. Much better is it to yield to the word of God. 
and humility and return to Christ. The real Christ, whose word is above his name. Not the fake Christ that says, go ahead and do your sex, you're okay. Go ahead and do your alcohol, you're still okay. Go ahead and allow the wolf, you know, and do the sex and you're okay. No. That's the wolf. You see? That's doctrine that is strange, different, and altered. Remember, love feast. We want the love feast inside the camp. Outside the camp, no love feast. Outside the camp, leprosy. Outside the camp, leaven. Oh, but Jesus went to the prostitute? Absolutely. You know what he said? Get inside the camp. Love feast. Come on. Prostitute, it's for you. Crackhead, it's for you. Come on. Come inside. Love feast, it's for you. You see? Remember, he says, go and sin no more. Once you're in, stay in. Beautiful. So beautiful. But understand that in verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. But for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly. Remember, this is the law. For the ungodly. You have... People desiring to be teachers who want to bring the law to the saints. And the law is for the lawless, the ungodly. What in the world is happening? In Galatia, you have saints who put up with it. Paul didn't put up with it. Remember, he says, after my departure, it's going to be a madhouse. After my departure, things are going to be a mess. After my departure, the wolves are going to enter. After my departure, even you will become wolves. That's what Paul says. Acts 20. And then you have people coming into the church that want to teach this, advocate this, encourage this. Not on my watch, Paul says. Timmy, not on your watch either. Remember, this is worker to worker. Paul to Timothy. We're like the fly on the wall getting an inside scoop. We're like reading like, wow, this is this is Paul writing to Timothy. Wow, we're getting an inside look, inside scoop. The inner sanctum of Paul writing to Timothy. And we're getting, this is what Paul is saying. Keep the house clean. Keep God's house clean. These teachers of law, they want to come in, but it's for the ungodly. Inside the camp is the love feast, the godly. Who are these teachers serving? Notice, and for sinners, still in verse 9, for the unholy and profane, which is the wicked, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, which is pornos. Pornos. Does that word sound familiar? Pornography? You see? For sodomites, the unnatural use of the human body. Remember our study in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we study um, uh, habitual sin? No. Cut it out. Habitual sin needs to be dealt with. You know, husbands, oh, I have a problem with pornography. I have a problem with pornography. Okay, you want the fix? Tell your wife. Oh, I can't tell my wife. I can't tell my wife. She'd leave me. (laughs) You knew that going in. 
husbands, oh, I, I got a you know a five thousand dollar computer. I can't, I, you know, it's worth too much. Is it worth your soul? Is it worth your soul? Oh man, I don't know any wife. Well, I know a couple wives, but the hardcore wives, I don't know any wife that has any problem. Burning, destroying, taking the baseball bat to the five thousand dollar computer, the you know the ten thousand dollar computer system, the ten thousand dollar entertainment system. I have I know no godly wife who has any problem doing that, taking the baseball bat to it. But I know some wicked wives who permit it. Oh, God is love, God is love, and men will be men. So if my husband wants to do this, eh, the pastor says it's okay. The pastor doesn't teach on it, so you know God is love. The law is for the unholy. For fornicators. For sodomites. You see? Well, you, you hear us say the church is in trouble. It's, it's not just said, to, you know, the, the church is in trouble, the church is in trouble. It's not just said for nothing. I mean, when you read Revelation 2 and 3, you see the red letters, you see, oh my goodness, the church is in trouble. Repent, 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 repent. So we see in verse 10, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, this is men stealers to enslave. And today in these last days, we're seeing the rise of human trafficking. You see? We see it. We're living in the Bible says perilous times for a reason. A little side note, not to get off track, but parents, watch your kids like hawks. Watch your kids because there are perverted men, women, teenagers. They're everywhere. Watch your kids like hawks. Because you're seeing the rise of sexual predators. They've always been, but you're seeing the rise of sexual predators. But the victims are younger and the predators, they're also getting younger. You have teenagers, you know, 15-year-old boys and even like, you know, 15-year-old girls. And they're doing their sexual stuff on children. Parents, watch your kids like hawks. We see in verse 10. For the kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, you see, that's hardcore. I mean, it's already hardcore, but that the law in verse 9, it's not made for a righteous person. But then he starts to list all these things, the lawless. Okay, I get it. The laws for the lawless. I get it. The insubordinate, okay, I get it. The, the, the ungodly, for sinners, unholy, profane, murders of fathers, murders of mothers, mur for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for, kin for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. But then he also throws this in there. And if there is any other thing that is contrary or opposed to sound doctrine. In the Greek, translates as doctrine that is safe, sound, whole, uncorrupted, and true and anything opposed to this is included with the wicked and unholy that's hardcore 
Understand the law is for the lawless, absolutely. But there are teachers and pastors who understand nothing. Who are a threat. They're a threat. Inside the church. Inside the camp. They are the Korahs of our time. Following them like a fire. Death. That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. You say, whoa, that's too hardcore. I mean, if, if you're listening for the first time, I'm sure you're just like, whoa. But that's why we say, you know, listen to the prior studies. You know, First Corinthians, get yourself caught up because you'll understand more. Very serious business, and it's not business of this world. It is heavenly. It is of the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain those who build. The Lord must build the house. The firm foundation, the cornerstone, the Holy Spirit adding brick by brick by brick. The formula must be right. I mean, it's easy to understand. You know, the fornicators, sodomites, the kidnappers. Liars, murderers. But if there's any other thing that is contrary or opposed to sound doctrine, uncorrupted doctrine, you see, the doctrine must be sound. How will you know if spaghetti is really spaghetti? You have to know the recipe, the formula, the recipe for spaghetti. Otherwise, you're going to have the pseudodelphos. You're going to have the wolves. You're going to have the hirelings. You're going to have the servants of Satan. They present themselves like ministers of righteousness. They look like they're holy. They got the degrees. They got the masters. They got the doctorate. They got the seminary. And they're going to whisper sweet nothings in your ear. They're going to appear like they're intellectuals. Oh, surely this guy knows what he's talking about. Look, he's using all these big words. I don't even know what he's talking about. He's using all these big words. So surely he knows what he's talking about. He says, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. A lie from the pit of hell. He's presenting toast as if it were spaghetti. And people are falling for it hook, line, and sinker. Amen, amen. Take the mark of the beast to be saved. Amen. Got our study Bible. Amen. Hello, lick of fire. Don't follow such men. Don't follow such such teachers. I mean, we are also living in a time where we are seeing the fruit of false doctrine. I mean, you see it all the time. Look at, look at Hillsong. People say, oh, the fall of Hillsong, the fall of Hillsong. It's terrible. It's so sad to see in the church. And I get that. But what about 10 years ago? What about 15, 20 years ago? What about when 
The doctrine went south. What about when the doctrine was like, wait a second, he said that? Wait a second, they're doing that? What about when the fruit was evident? Yes, the fall is terrible. But what about when the doctrine was terrible to begin with? And in the light of that doctrine, you know, you have somebody 10 years ago, you have somebody 15 years ago who was saying, hey, you know, beware of Hillsong, beware of Hillsong. Oh, you're so mean. How dare you say that? It's, look, surely the Lord is there. Look, it's got all the thousands of people, got this good music, got this, got that. And surely the Lord is with them. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. You're so mean. Now look. You see? Now look. You have reformed churches today, Calvinistic churches today. Oh, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Beware of reformed theology. Beware of Calvinism. Oh, you're so mean. Sure, look, the guy's got this study Bible. Look, the guy's got, you know, the doctrine. Honorary doctrine. Look, sure, America's pastor, surely he knows what he's talking about. Look at the fruit that's being exposed. Protectors of abusers, protectors of pedophiles, molesters of children. And the pastor protects them. You see? Oh, you're so mean, you're so mean. Listen, we want love feast inside the camp. Love feast. But the love feast cannot happen unless there is sound doctrine. Everything flows from sound doctrine. Remember, that the law is included in these, that the law is not made for the righteous, but for the lawless, the insubordinate, the ungodly, the sinners, unholy, profane, murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is key. Because remember, the word became flesh. Sound doctrine in the word of God, knowing that the word became flesh. You know what that means inside the love feast? That means Jesus is there. The real Jesus. Whose word is above his name. That's what we want. That's the objective. Remember, we're in the pastoral epistles. This is senior pastor Paul writing to junior pastor Timothy. Remember, when this problem that arose in Ephesus of the, the elders, the overseers of Ephesus, of which Paul says, after my departure, you know, the wolves are going to come in and some of you are going to be wolves, Acts chapter 20. And when Paul writes Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, he speaks rather gentle. But when writing to another worker, one who was trained in his bubble, one who he circumcised of both heart and flesh, who saw him engage and fight. He speaks in another manner, the sharpness of the word of God, explaining these things so that Little Timmy, who's now a full-grown bear, now it's his turn to fight. 
See, Paul's in prison. We're, you know, we're, we're 63 AD. Paul's in prison. In several more years, he's going to be beheaded. You see? Now it's little Timmy's turn. And we continue in our study in verse 11. Now, understand too that this is when sound doctrine, sound doctrine is safe and sound and whole and uncorrupted and it's true. Now we see verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Well, now I get a little warning in saying this in verse 11. A little warning. In the Greek, there's emphasis when he says committed to my trust. There's emphasis on my. It's in the Greek, the word is ego. Ego which in most cases is not considered a good thing in most uses. And Paul is giving emphasis when he says, you know, committed to my trust. The word is ego. And Paul is saying that God entrusted the gospel to me. Now, in, on one side, who does Paul think he is? He's got a big ego. Who does he think he is? But Paul answers himself. You know what he says of himself? I'm trash. I'm the scum of the earth. That's, that's how he refers to himself. Listen to our study through the Corinthians. You'll understand more. That's what Paul says of himself. Oh, Paul says ego. He was committed to my trust that God entrusted this gospel to him. Who does he think he is? Surely God can speak through us just like, just like Korah. Remember our study in the Old Testament? Just like Korah. Oh, God is speaking to Moses. Surely he can speak to us too. Surely he can speak through us. You see? The very siblings of Moses were in the similar situation. You see? Surely the Lord can speak through us too. And then remember the Lord says, hey, step into my office. Step into my, I speak to Moses as a friend. Remember Joshua? Now, if you've been walking with us for a while, even a short while, because we just did Joshua 1. We look at all these promises of God unto Joshua in Joshua 1. But you might wonder, why in the world are we looking at this, you know, this bad part about Israel and, you know, why, why you know, in our, remembering our Joshua 1 study, it's like, why, why are we looking at these bad passages? And why are we looking at this future where it's like, wow, it's good now, but then it's going to be bad. But understand the formula, because when the formula is right, look where the Lord is. Yes, with the people. But when the people submit themselves to Joshua, when the people submit to Joshua and the elders, when the formula is right in the Joshua and the elders, you see how beautiful it is? But what happens when Joshua dies and then the elders die? You know what happens in Israel? Apostasy. 
the males, the molex, the asterisks. When Paul says here in verse 11 that the gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust, yes, he uses the word ego. Seemingly like, you know, I mean, if you just met Paul for the first time, you're like, well, who does this guy think he is? But when you read the book of Acts, you see his hands, you see his feet. When you read his letters and you see his heart, I mean, when Moses says, you know, if you're with God, stand here next to me. It's like, who does Moses think he is? You see, who does Joshua think he is? Who does Samuel think he is? But when the Lord builds the house, It is safe to follow these men. He's not speaking of his ego. Remember, he says of himself, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He's exalting Christ in his very embodiment, in his temple. We continue in verse 12. And I thank Jesus, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. And this word in the Greek is endunamu, where, you know, it, it, we get the word dunamis, you know, endunamu, it's, you know, we get the word dunamis, which is, you know, like, you know, we get the word dynamite, it's like powerful. But notice, it's not the power of Paul, it's the power of Christ, which is to make strong, to increase in strength, to empower. Notice, it's the Lord's doing. He says in verse 12, and I think Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me and endunamu, which is its power of the Lord. Because he counted me faithful, he says. God, Jesus counted him faithful. Remember, this is senior pastor Paul writing to junior pastor Timothy. And he's saying to junior pastor Timothy, who's been with Paul for 14 years, been in his very special bubble. He knows Paul's not speaking about ego. He's seen Paul fight. He's seen Paul left for dead. He's seen Paul stoned and beaten, hungry. I mean, he was hungry himself. He's been fed by Paul, scripturally, doctrinally, also fed by Paul. Literally, you know, Paul would sell his tents and say, here, you know, here's our food, Timothy, here, eat. And Paul, who considers Timothy his son. And Timothy, who considers Paul his father. Paul is saying that Jesus counted me faithful. Now, counted here in the Greek. Hege omai. In the Greek. Hege omai. He hege omai me faithful. He counted me faithful. Which is described and defined as a process. And the process is this, to consider, to think, to count, to govern, to lead, and to command. I'll say it again. Hege omai. To consider, to think, to count, to govern, to lead, and to command. Does this sound familiar? 
This is exactly what God has been doing all along. When he is the one who sees and considers his vessels. Remember, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro. They run to and fro. When the Lord considered Moses, and you see, Hege Omai, when the Lord considered, when the Lord thinks, when the Lord counts, you know, Moses, that's my guy. To govern. When Moses says, you know, Lord, you are mine. To lead, Moses himself followed the Lord, led by the Lord. Moses himself commanded by the Lord. Now you see, Hege Omai, you see this process to consider, to think, to count, to govern, to lead, to command. That's what the Lord does. He did it with Moses. He did it with Joshua. He did it with Ruth. He did it with Mary. He did it with Paul. With Mary? How beautiful. How beautiful of Mary. Of all the women the Lord could have used. You know... I say that, but it kind of pains me to say it that way. But of all the women, I mean, to say that the Lord could have used, it's like, of all the women, the one that the Lord did use, Mary, beautiful formula, not like the average girl, not like the average woman, Mary, I mean, Just as Isaiah prophesied correctly that unto us a child is born. And when in the proper course of time, in the arrangement of time, okay, it's time for this seed of all the women, the heart of Mary. When the eyes of the Lord run to and fro and he considers, he thinks, he counts, he governs, he leads, he commands. Who is my guy? Who is my gal? Old Testament, New Testament. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. You see? When Paul says ego... Speaking of, you know, the, the, the gospel which the Lord committed to my trust, it translates as, it, it uses the word ego. But it's not ego as commonly referred to today, no. But yet it's confidence in God, not confidence of self, not confidence of the flesh, confidence of the spirit to know that God is able. God is powerful. God is most high, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. God is all-powerful, almighty. You see? I meant for Mary to know that the seed that was growing in her belly was holy. 
Oh, Mary, who do you think you are? You think you're something special? It's not that she, in ego, egotistically says, yes, I'm special. But no, in humility, that the Lord saw her as special in his eyes, special to him. That's how the Lord works. Old Testament, New Testament. Look at Hannah. Samuel. You see? There's something different about Mary. There's something different about Hannah. There's something different about Samuel. There's something different about Joshua. There's something different about little Timmy. There's something different about Paul. There's something different about Moses. And just as we see in verse 12, he says, and I thank Jesus, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, it's the Lord's doing, because he counted me faithful. Putting me into ministry, he says. This isn't Paul saying, oh, I want to do good for my community, so I think I'm going to be a pastor. No. This is the Lord's doing. Hege Omai, remember? Paul is under orders. Sometimes people say, well, you know, you should want to be a pastor. People say that all the time. Well, you should want to be a pastor. You know, that's foolishness. What's better is we should want obedience unto the Lord fully and completely. It could be pastoral. It might not be. We should want full and complete and total obedience unto the Lord. Sometimes people see, you know, there is a beauty, you know, when you see reluctance in pastoral ministry. There is a beauty behind that. It's counting the cost. In these last days, People who are men who are pastors today are placed in the balance of scripture and found wanting. Large majority of pastors. Remember, there are very specific qualifiers. Remember, this is this is Paul to Timothy. Inside scoop on inside, you know, uh, like a fly on the wall. We're seeing how Paul would, how, what he says to Timothy. 14 years in Paul's bubble, little Timmy. Sometimes I talk to Christians and they're, they don't want to leave the church. I mean, they want to leave the church because the church is, has become apostate or is becoming apostate. But then they don't want to leave because all my friends are here. You know, these are my, listen. Our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. That's our loyalty. If a pastor has left Jesus Christ, do not follow him. Sometimes a pastor has never followed Jesus Christ 
And as maturity happens in a saint, they realize, oh my goodness, my pastor is crazy. Oh my goodness, my pastor is defunct. Oh my goodness, my pastor is a hireling. Oh my goodness, my pastor is really a wolf. Do not follow. In these last days, there's going to be a shakeup of church leadership. And it's already happening. As false doctrines and false workings are being exposed. It's already happening. It's of the Lord. Remember, judgment comes first to the church. And if the Lord is calling you into pastoral ministry, the formula is right. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know the, you know what the formula is. I mean, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and get yourself caught up to these pastoral epistles. You know the formula. And if the formula is right and the Lord is calling you into pastoral ministry, which is beautiful, understand that you will be alone. As surely as the Lord lives, you will be alone. You think Satan wants people to hear what you have to say? I mean, when the formula is right in you and the Lord calls you into pastoral ministry, teacher capacity, pastor teacher, and the formula is right, do you really think that Satan wants people to hear what you have to say? You will be alone. Look at Paul. I mean, we're going to read the second letter in 2 Timothy. He says, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. And I love Paul in these prison letters. Why? Because Paul, as he becomes even more alone, he goes on offense. You say, what do you mean he goes on offense? He's in prison. Well, remember, he says his life is being poured out as a drink offering. He's pouring into the next generation of pastors. He's pouring into Timothy. He's pouring into Titus. For Paul, end of watch. The next generation of leadership. You see? It's the Lord's doing. You see, the Lord, just like we see Hege Omai in verse 12, that he counted me faithful, Hege Omai, which is to consider, to think, to count, to govern, to lead, to command. Paul's under orders. It's him. It's the Lord. It's Jesus who has put me into ministry. In verse 13, although I was Formerly, formerly, notice Paul is referring to his past, his old nature, his old man who he has reckoned to be dead. That's why you hear us say from time to time, if not all the time, reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead, carry your cross, the instrument of death. And people say all the time, oh, I'm crucified with Christ. It's like, okay, let's, let's look at the fruit. You go to the strippers, you go gambling, you go to the prostitutes. I don't see death, my friend. I don't see crucifixion with Christ. Because crucifixion with Christ is 
death in Christ. And death in Christ is to be alive in Christ. When that is right, the formula, then I see crucified with Christ. But as it stands now, I don't see it. You better repent, brother. You better repent, sister. You better reckon the old man dead, brother. You better reckon the old woman dead, sister. I love you, but I call it like I see it. Because when that happens, then that verse is effectuated in you. You are indeed crucified with Christ. But walking in the flesh, no crucifixion with Christ. And Paul referring to his former self in verse 13 says, although I was formerly a blasphemer. This is according to the law. You know, according to the law, he was on point. Remember, he was abiding not in Christ. This is his BC days, his before Christ days. He was abiding in the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel. And according to the law, everything's on point. He's just doing the works of the law. But according to the law's fulfillment, speaking of Jesus Christ, he's a blasphemer. He says, a persecutor. Remember, this is BC days. Verse 13, a persecutor, an insolent man. You know how this translates? A violent man, an abusive man, an injurious man. And that's what he says of himself before he came to Christ. He was violent and abusive. Now look how tender he is. I mean, worker, worker, I mean, kind of sharp, but I mean, understand this worker, worker. Look at his tenderness to the Philippians. Look at his tenderness to the Ephesians. Look at his tenderness to the Corinthians. You say, well, First Corinthians chapter 5 wasn't very tender. Well, something had to happen. That was a little tap-tap moment. Double-tap moment. See, the Lord chastises those whom he loves. And his BC days, he was violent. He even says, referencing passages where he refers to, in his BC days, how he would have Christians beaten, killed, stoned, dragged into prison, women and children. Violent and abusive. He says in verse 13, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly, which is without information, without intelligence. And he says, I didn't know. He did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, Paul in his BC days when he was abiding in the law, which is outside of Christ, he didn't know. But when he knows, it's a different ballgame because he responds in obedience to the Lord. You see? It's beautiful. Remember the thief on the cross? He didn't know doctrine. The thief on the cross, he didn't know doctrine. He didn't know the Torah. He didn't, he didn't know. But what he did know is belief in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to him, 
Today you will be with me in paradise. And that's what's so beautiful about maturing. Because as we grow, as we mature, we can know more about the Lord. Knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. But also understand that in knowledge, in growth, in maturing, in Christ, all of a sudden it's like we grow in the knowledge of the Word of God. But then at the same time, we are without excuse. Because we can't claim ignorance anymore. See, sometimes we have to count the cost of maturing in Christ. A lot of Christians who are in trouble, yes, repent, yes, grow and mature, which is beautiful, but count the cost of maturing in Christ. That means no more strippers, no more pornography, no more crack, no more meth, no more Buddha, no more Mary. No more, you know, the occult, the Ouija boards. No more. Count the cost. We see in verse 14, and the grace of our Lord. Remember, this is Paul to Timothy. The grace of our Lord, Timothy. Remember, very special intimacy. 14 years. Paul and Timothy joined at the hip. Paul says there's no one is like-minded. Picture the memories. 14 years walking together. Paul pouring little Timmy as a sponge in the soaking phase. Soaking in, soaking in, soaking in. Now Paul's in prison. Several years he's going to be beheaded. And now it's time for little Timmy. Now big Timmy. Bear to me, no longer cub to me. Now it's bear to me to pour out. You see? In verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was, was exceedingly abundant or super abundant with faith. Now, now remember, Calvinist and Reformed theory people that say, you see, God makes you believe. Because look, the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundantly with faith. See, the Lord makes you believe. No, 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 no. It is also written. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. That eternity is written on our, on our, our, our hearts. Romans 12 verse 13. A measure of faith is given to every man. Understand that faith can grow. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. We just studied, remember? Faith grows, but it grows for a reason. Did faith grow in Corinth? Pre-separation from the leaven, was faith growing? No, arrested development, stagnance. Once the leaven was gone, once the love feast was restored, now the gears of faith can start to turn again and faith can grow. You see, if you're Calvinist reformed, I love you. But I also say this, come out of her, my people. Listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Also listen to the study, do not take the mark of the beast. Because you hear the reformed pastor say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Which is a lie from the pit of hell. 
You see? The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in verse 14 with faith and love, which grows too, which are in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is on the receiving end of the very things that he teaches. He went through. He himself, he wants saints to be transformed into a new creation, but he himself has been transformed into a new creation. No hypocrisy with him. He's the real deal. And the gospel and the word of God has been committed to his trust. The Lord is the one who not only enabled him, but the Lord is the one who counted him faithful. Because the Lord says, Paul, that's my guy. Remember, before Paul knew, you know who knew? Ananias in his prayer with the Lord. Ananias was like, Lord, are you sure? Because this guy is a persecutor of Christians. And the Lord says, Ananias, he's my vessel. I'm going to use him to go to the Gentiles. You see, the Lord gave Ananias the blueprints before he gave it to Paul. Beautiful. In verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Of whom ego, ego, I am chief. You see? You think Paul cares about the filth of the non-believer? No. But to go to the non-believer and say, hey, get inside. The path you're on is dangerous. Just as Jesus went to the prostitutes. Paul could go anywhere. Prostitute? I don't care. Crackhead? I don't care. Meth? I don't care. Buddha? I don't care. Wicca? Occult? I could care. I don't care. Murderer? I don't care. Come to Christ and, you know, we're going to call the police and say, you're, you know, you're, you did the murder. And then, you know, you go to prison, do your time and, you know, start your prison ministry. Grow and mature in prison. care about past sin what I do care your future destination I don't want lake of fire for you I want paradise for you but you have to respond to truth you have to respond to the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved those are his words I'm just the messenger and if that's you and you want to commit your life to Christ, you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You see? Paul of himself said, I'm chief. I'm chief of all sinners. See, Paul made his choice. Sometimes the Calvinist and Reformed theory people, they get mad at me. What do you mean Paul made his choice? God made him believe. The Holy Spirit made him believe. Is it hard to kick against the goats? Listen to our study through the book of Acts. You'll understand more. 
In verse 16, in closing, however, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long, long suffering. Remember, it's the work of the Lord. In verse 12, it's the Lord who put him into ministry. And for this reason, I obtained mercy, he says in verse 16, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe or those who hereafter will believe. Today, you have people today who say, why would God allow us to suffer? Why would God allow us to suffer? Why would a loving God allow us to suffer? Which is foolishness. That question is foolishness. Remember our study through First and Second Thessalonians? When Paul says, we're made for this. You see, in Paul's life, it's a pattern. Safe to follow. But understand at the same time, that there is tribulation and persecution. And the life is a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. We're not in paradise. Paradise is a future event. That's our destination. That's where we're going. But don't expect paradise on earth. Because that ain't happening. Paradise is a future destination. And so we see here in verse 17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, put yourself in little Timmy's sandals, adult Timothy. Put yourself in Timothy's sandals, holding this letter in his hand, holding the parchment of this letter of Paul written in a Roman jail, written while in Roman prison, house arrest. But he's holding the parchment, remembering the past 14 years, the talks, the studies, the prayer, the persecution, the souls being saved. His father in faith is imprisoned and in several years will be beheaded. And just like Moses and Joshua, we see Paul and Tim, Timothy. <laughs> just like Moses and Joshua, we see Paul and T Timothy. The next generation of leadership the next generation of pastor serious business very serious life and death heaven and hell very serious brother james says let not many be teachers paul says here in verse 18 this charge which is a command and mandate this charge i commit to you son timothy According to the prophecies previously made concerning you. You see, there was prophecies given that little Timmy would be in ministry. And it is very true that 
There is that no prophecy is of private interpretation. That's Second Peter chapter one verse twenty. It's absolutely true that no prophecy is of private interpretation. But understand that there must be alignments to truth and discernment. I mean, so private interpretation? No, there's a, 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 a small group of people around little Timmy when this prophecy was made upon him. So picture a prophecy given to little Timmy that he would be in ministry. Paul comes to town, talks to Eunice and Lois. And they say, yeah, there was a prophecy about little Timmy that he would be in ministry. Notice the biblical qualifiers. Who gave the prophecy? Paul comes to town, okay. Who gave the prophecy? Oh, is that crazy lady over there? Crazy lady over there, she says she's a prophetess and her home's a mess. Nope, formula's, formula's wrong. Those aren't prophecies. Don't listen to those prophecies. Paul comes down. Who gave the prophecy? This godly woman. She has the gift of prophecy. This godly young lady. Oh, is that Philip's Philip's daughter? Yeah, that's her. Remember, Philip had his daughters were prophetesses. Good stock. See, Philip raises his kids well. Prophetess daughters. You see? You test the spirits and make sure everything aligns. Okay, listen. It's prophecy, the gift of prophecy. Until little Timmy, he's going to be in ministry. Today we have pastors who say, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The gift of prophecy, it, that's sealed up. That's not for this generation. Really? You have to look at the vessel. Because the Spirit moves through His vessels. The Spirit moves through vessels that are aligned to Jesus Christ. Where there is no alignment to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the Lord has to do the work. I say has to do the work, but the work has to be done inside the heart first. Remember, in, then through. The formula, in, then through. But, you know, a guy who wants to do his sex, drugs, alcohol, and also say he's a prophet... A lady wants to do her sex, drugs, alcohol, be crazy, have a crazy house, and say, oh yeah, I'm a prophetess. doesn't work that way. Formula's got to be right. That's not prophetess. That's crazy town. You see? People get in trouble because, oh yeah, yeah, she's a prophetess. She's a prophet. Ain't no prophetess. You know, she better rejoice that we're not in the law because in the law, it's like, you know, hello stones. I haven't came to the law, but I'm just saying, you know, that's what happens under the law. And praise the Lord that we're not under the law because, you know, it should be me on the cross. Paying the price for my sin. But God, who is rich in mercy, by his grace, I am what I am. By his mercy, I'm not who I was. You see, there was prophecies concerning Timothy. That he would be in ministry. He says in verse 18, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, notice the prophecies, that by them, so multiple prophecies. You see? Confirmation. Multiple prophecies. 
that by them you may wage the good warfare. You know how this translates in the Greek? I love it. I love it. To wage the good warfare is to execute warfare. To perform the duties and functions of the warrior. To wage the good warfare is to execute warfare, which is to perform the duties and functions of the warrior and to be in military service or a career in warfare, meaning that's your life, the life of the warrior. Remember, this is senior pastor Paul to junior pastor Timothy. In verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, the inner man, it's clean, nice and clean, the inner man. Remember, in, our, in the, the, the study that we had about the pastoral epistles, it, it, we, you know, we look at the package deal, like, you know, package one, package two, package three, package four. Now, this is, this is full package. This is senior pastor, who's the full package, pouring into junior pastor, who's the full package. You see? These are discussions among the full package. Not... Package three, not package two, not package one, not no package, and not crazy town. The formula is beautiful. The formula is right. We see in verse 19, have, verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected, which means they're not clean. Remember, only the clean can clean. Only the clean can be. Don't expect to be cleaned by the dirty. Only the clean can clean. Shepherds. Shepherds who are compromised themselves. Shepherds who have become wolves themselves. You see, and if that's the shepherd class who are defiled, what do you think is happening to the sheep? They're becoming dirty. The sheep, they're becoming defiled. The sheep, they're not safe. The lambs, the sheep, they're not safe. And having faith and a a good conscience, which some having rejected in verse 19, concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Shipwreck. There are people who desire to be teachers of the law. There are people who desire to be teachers of the law when, don't forget, is included anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. Any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. You know what? The problem is, I mean, multiple problems. But the sheep, they're in harm's way. God's people, they're in harm's way. If they submit themselves to such men who desire to be teachers of fill in the blank, if it is not sound doctrine, Fill in the blank. Of the law, fill in the blank. The money preachers, fill in the blank. The sheep are in danger. The lamb are in danger. They're in harm's way. You know what needs to happen? They need to jump ship. Before the shipwreck happens, jump ship. There is a better way. In verse 20, of whom are 
Himenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan or yielded them to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. You see, there are teachers who speak evil. This is inside the church, inside the camp. You know, you can expect anything outside, you know, outside the church. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. But this is inside the church. Oh, but he's great. He's such a great expositor. Oh, he went to seminary. Surely he knows what he's talking about. Oh, look, he has his doctorate in theology. Surely he is a teacher. Yes, a teacher, but of poison. Hymenaeus. Recognized among the saints as a teacher. But of Hymenaeus, Paul says this, that his message was mere babbling. He's a cancer inside the body. Concerning truth, he strayed. And he's very affected, effective in overthrowing faith. And this is inside the church. Somebody who was recognized as a teacher. And we get this from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. And Paul speaks of Hymenaeus. This is inside the church. Do not follow Hymenaeus. You see, remember, senior pastor Paul to junior pastor Timothy. Warrior Paul to warrior Timothy. And in these letters, in these letters, I mean, put yourself in Paul's sandals or Timothy's sandals. 14 years in, in a very special bubble walking with Paul. Being a yo-yo. Very beautiful. And now, 14 years later, Paul's not a cub anymore. Or Timothy's not a cub anymore. He's a bear. Not like the average bear. Because he was taught well. He is a good teacher. The formula is right in the teacher. Formula is right in the student. Now the student is, you know, you know, you know under that. Uh, uh, now the student is like, you know, overseer now. Pastor, Pastor Timothy. Back in the day, Paul circumcised him. They go into synagogue and little Timmy watches him engage in the work of righteousness, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He watches Paul engage. He sees the skill. He's getting the full experience, immersion learning. Now it's his turn. And in this letter, Paul's saying, let's handle business. Let's handle business. Let's get it on. Fight. You see? In verse 18, that you may wage the good warfare, which is to execute warfare, to perform the duties and functions of the warrior in military service, in a career in warfare. Little Timmy, it's your turn. Fight the good fight. We're going to continue our study in these pastoral epistles. But remember, we must make these distinctions. This is worker to worker. Now, it is possible. You know, you hear say workers, uh, you know, that shepherds can become wolves. Shepherds who are hirelings. Absolutely true. 
And these are things that we protect against, we guard against through the knowledge of Scripture and the moving of the Holy Spirit. But understand, it is entirely possible, beautifully, for field to come to become worker. You see? And that might be you, my friend. Brother, sister, I don't care. That might be you. In regards to pastoral ministry, overseer ministry as elder or pastor, must be male. Must be male. If you're in the pews right now, you're a pew Christian, you're in the field, understand it's not the end all where it's like you're in the pew and you're going to die in the pew. No, you're in the pew and as you grow, as you mature, you learn the formulas, you study the formulas, you understand the formula. And then at the same time, in the course of time, the Lord might call upon you. Just like he did with in, in verse 12 with Paul, that he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. You know, the Lord's not done. He's still doing a mighty work today. But where are the ears? Ears to hear and eyes to see. Because when you have ears to hear, it might be the same Lord that called Paul is the same Lord. Remember in verse 12, he counted me faithful, which is hege omai, which is to consider, to think, to count, to govern, to lead, to command. I wonder if the eyes of the Lord are on you to say, you know what? That's my guy. That's my gal. I'm going to use him. I'm going to use her in whatever capacity that's between you and the Lord. That's what happens when you enter the, the ranks of the warrior. We're going to end our study here. Lord willing, pick up next week in chapter 2 to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.